and like go and he like pulls more loot out of corpses I'm really glad I recorded that <laughs> I remember that. like the, the visceral <laughs> um, noise he makes I, I think when I played I only had skill that I like, got more potions out of them but you can upgrade it to get more items out of them but he just like he literally bares his chest and throws his arms back and goes <laughs> just stuff comes out of the body <laughs> it's a really unfortunate animation I chose the perfect time to switch on the soundtrack Tom <laughs> well that's the outro sorted yep <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 187 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 3rd of May, 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And me, Chris Thurston. I don't know why I said it in the voice that means I had to keep going around the circle. Uh, hello. Hello, Alex. <laughs> and back to compulsion. Tom. Hello. <laughs> That's an intro. It's good to like learn people's voices because often it is. You, don't, you don't get like a full uh, association between name and voice at the start of a podcast. No. no listener. Exactly. And no one, no one says their own name in the way that they subsequently say everything else, because we're not Pokemon. I find talk, saying my own name strange in the mouth. Really? <laughs> what about it? It's strange uh, to you. Uh, 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 <laughs> wow. Weird. How do you say that? I never heard you say your own name, funnily enough, and then it's now I understand why. How does, what does Chris saying Chris feel like? Chris. <laughs> now you've made it weird. Crisp. Chris. Crisps. Crisps. <laughs> do you ever find yourself saying christ instead of chris like everyone does when typing a name uh no mm. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sense. pleased to hear this do you ever secretly think of yourself as tomf as i do <laughs> no <laughs> also no tomps and tomf two toms i know <laughs> In, well I'm not, i know a lot of toms uh, this is this is gold, guys. We're covering <laughs> we're covering for the fact that it's a slow news week, amic- ad- amicably and ad- admirably. The, um, I have a friend whose surname, who's another Tom, whose surname begins with B, and his company does a kind of first name then first letter of last name policy. <laughs> so he's just Tomb. Nice, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I I benefit from first name and especially truncated first name and, and first name of surname. Mm. quite well i also actually benefit from initial and surname because it goes in a kind of lovecraftian direction if you do that to my name Cthurston. Cthurston. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's just um un- un- unspellable all the way down um so one thing actually that you reminded me of when you said that it's beneficial for sometimes for people to you know to hear our voices on multiple occasions so that they can more easily follow the podcast is on several occasions and i keep forgetting to say this We've been asked if when we discuss games on the podcast, we can occasionally repeatedly say the name of yeah. the game rather than saying it once quickly and then sort of referring to it as it or the game or whatever for the rest of the thing. When we do say it once quickly, though, we are still one up on Video Games Hot Dog, who in the last two episodes I've listened to, have they have an assignment game where they've all played it and they'll discuss mm. it at the end. And because they've all played it, they just, in two episodes, just don't mention the name ever. <laughs> you just never find out what the <laughs> game is. Podcasts go by without knowing what they're talking about. <laughs> it's completely surreal. So why don't we endeavour for an episode to repeatedly mention the name of the thing we're Should doing? Should we say it in a funny voice? Intro. You know, in a kind of very portentous... Um, I, I, let's not as if, run before we can walk, Alex. As if like a scrolling word across the screen. I think what we should try and do is seamlessly drop the name of the game into a sentence That's in a way that will feel unnatural, but will be so right. I think the audience will be really pleased with this. I think they will as well. <laughs> this is the kind of um, live development of our craft that they've gotten a chance to witness over the hundreds and hundreds of hours. 186. Of this. <laughs> 187, Alex. Seven. Jesus, I know. <laughs> We're three months off 200 episodes. 
And that doesn't count like the specials, right? Uh, uh, no. So even less time than that, technically. God, what, a con- what, a, what a raft of content. A raft. <laughs> content. That's the collective noun. Yeah. <laughs> Strap enough content together, you can leave an island. Indeed. The island of not having enough content. <laughs> We're departing it right now. We are we are not adequately covering for the fact that this has been quite a slow news week. <laughs> what uh, has happened? What has happened? We filled <laughs> an amount of time. We did. That and, and if nothing else, what There's else? There's been a lot of game for? releases. Yes. Including imminently as people listen to this, Prey, yeah. which yeah. we're all very excited about. Indeed. Very excited about it, actually. So I was so excited about it, I chose not to play the demo, mm. wanting to have the the full experience. Um, but I understand that both of you have played the yeah, Prey we, demo. Yeah, we played it on I was, PS4. Yeah, I was uh, a little conflicted about whether I should play it. If it was like the next Deus Ex, I just absolutely wouldn't. Um, and I did play it because I actually wasn't totally sure about Prey. Um Loads of things I'd seen about it were really exciting, and I very much like Arcane. But it's not totally, it's not a total slam dunk. Like if you like Dishonored, you'll love this, mm. uh, because the team split after that. And the fact that Dishonored Two is so good actually doesn't encourage you to think that Prey's going to be that good, because that's the other half of the team, right? They can't all be amazing. They did both, yeah, yeah. They can't all be great. Um, and also, I had concerns from the early videos where, um, uh, just the, my main one is just the shadowy enemies, the enemies that are made of weird shadowy stuff um historically have never been that much fun to fight it always tends to be if it's not actually like a physical thing it doesn't feel that great to hit um and i also thought the mimics which are the little like head crabby things that can transform into any prop any like physics object that you might see around um thought it was like you know cool scary concept for like a horror movie or something but to play is just gonna be irritating isn't it just like oh i've got to fucking hit everything now Mm. um and uh I think some of my concerns are uh, not allayed by the demo. I, I ended up having a really good time with it, but hitting the little head crabby things is A, not that satisfying, and B, fucking difficult and just irritating. Like yeah, any like small, fast enemy that's moving rapidly, particularly on console, because you've got to, like, you, there's a limit to how fast you can move your view, and they go faster than that. So it's just like, oh, lurch around. Oh, he's behind me now. Oh, I've got to lurch around again. Um, I'm hoping that's going to be better on PC. I'm also hoping that those are not going to be like a primary enemy throughout the game. I hope they're kind of an early levels kind of thing. Um, and I also hope that, um, and I think that as you get better weapons, they get just less, they get more trivial to deal with. Like if you have enough, if you have a load of shotgun shells, they're, they're pretty trivial. Mm. Uh, you don't in this demo. It's very, the ammo scarcity is like a big thing. Um, and then the, like the other shadowy enemies, the fact that they're shadowy is not as much of a problem as I thought because they are, it has this quite un, unusual uh sort of pacing slash structure to it where those mimics are most of the enemies you you encounter in this demo the demo is the first hour and it's like a bit of story intro and then the first kind of big hub area where you go off and um do like a very short bit of main quest and there's a there's i think there's one side quest and a lot of side exploration and in that there's only i think i've only encountered like four or maybe five other enemies than those head crabby things and they are humanoidy things and they are super scary and they feel like bosses basically and so it's got this pace where like most of the time you're fighting nothing and most of the time you're fighting something it's these fairly trivial enemies that are kind of irritating but not uh, a huge deal and then when you are fighting something it, it's uh, anything more than that it's a huge deal and you've got to really plan a, a, your way around it and mm. there was like an area where 
on my first playthrough i just i went in there there was one humanoid enemy that i had encountered before and then one that i hadn't who was like fucking on fire that's the one that's on fire yeah, yeah yeah this is the trauma lab um and uh i i gave it my best shot like i was in stealth mode and hiding waiting for him to walk past a uh a fuel barrel and shot that at the perfect time did a chunk of damage like took a third of his health off and then i just like threw all the other ammo i had at him um i fired it from my guns and didn't throw it that, was <laughs> that would have been your first mistake <laughs> and that did almost nothing and so then i just ran away and i just never went back to that area i'm like okay well that's beyond me and then i just uh like finished the main thread of the demo and then on subsequent playthroughs I've, I've as i've got a better handle in the game i've gone back there and like strategized it out and figured out ways to you know blow up more barrels on them and um i did a lot of throwing of barrels yeah i had the throw upgrade at that point where because if you don't have the throw upgrade just throwing a barrel doesn't blow it up doesn't go and well Um, oh i see yeah because it didn't also doesn't go very far so if they you kind of want to throw from a distance just so they don't get you their attacks are a bit weird aren't they they have this kind of ranged thing which is not a projectile yeah which is seems like someone's column of stuff comes from the ground it's like those enemies in doom 2 <laughs> do you remember yeah, the ones who like yeah, they put their yeah, arms the up and the gold column arch would happen veal, arch yeah and it would just it would just hit you directly without having to pass I didn't, through the intervening space i mean they were tough and i don't mind them being tough particularly but i did not find them very fun no i think yeah the, the thing about shadowy enemies not being satisfying to shoot is pretty much true i think <laughs> like, yeah but i i didn't mind it as much because they were i felt like they were almost like puzzle bosses like how to figure out how to deal with these guys in a way that doesn't give them too much chance to fight back because they're yeah. tough and they're powerful and um and i kind of like that and also I, I like just spending most of my time not fighting and just exploring and and there's a lot up. to explore in yeah. prey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. I, I was surprised by just how open the area is like you know um it feels in general quite deus exy and and bioshocky yeah but the level is much larger much more complicated than probably even deus ex i'd say yeah we should maybe just recap that this is um uh an immersive sim type game in the vein of deus ex and and bioshock um by arcane who did dishonored and it is not the space bounty hunter iteration of prey 2 that was once announced and it's also not the game that is already out and called prey where you are uh abducted onto an alien ship and trying to rescue your girlfriend and <laughs> it's also you... it's it's not related to the film eat pray love <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> although i think we might have used it as a podcast title <laughs> or i've used it in some context i know we did yeah you did i think i was on that one but yeah <laughs> i'm having pun flashbacks <laughs> and it's i i found it uh uncannily system shocky bioshocky um if if it was just called bioshock 3 i wouldn't have batted an eyelid i wouldn't have thought this seems more like an arcane game i would have thought nope this that seems right um to the extent that that that, um bethesda in the uk are using um a tabloid newspaper (laughs) quotes saying it's uh bioshock in space yeah (laughs) a novel new idea which seems an interesting choice of quote yeah I'm really hoping that if if they do another Bioshock under the sea, they'll be like, it's like prey under the sea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's got like, uh, it's Bioshock in that it has this, I really like the art style actually, um, where it is, a, it's like a, a lovely space station. It's kind of luxurious and clean and, and beautiful, but it's also, and it, this is set like just outright in the future. It's not like a fallout, you know, alternate past. 
but it has a kind of old-fashionedness to it, doesn't it? This everything's thing. kind of like a little bit worn, not in a kind of like dilapidated, you know, everything's gone to shit way, but in a kind of people have been living here way. Like it's quite stylized, so like, you know, it's not going super detailed or anything. Um, and like its technology is not like believe you know it isn't what you anyone will particularly believe future technology is it's like lots of brass unnecessary brass things sticking out of stuff which would fall off you know in in under kind of <laughs> lots of use in reality lots of but it's got those hanging wires and that kind of thing mm. stuff that you'd think that in the future probably wouldn't exist but in the context of a like a stylized game it's a really nice effect but mm. it also everything is a little bit worn like the walls are like just there's like just a patina of kind of wear on them which i really like i took loads of screenshots of kind of walls and things in it because i was really surprised by that i wasn't expecting that kind of vision of of like homely life up up in space yeah and uh it's got the like skill tree stuff is that's the bit that reminds me most of system shock because they the skill trees are divided into engineering science and security so they're all kind of themed around what the staff on a space station Jobs. might do yeah mm. they're not mm. like um do you want to be psionics or um <laughs> warrior um and in particular like just the notion of repairing stuff um is something i feel like system shock 2 might have been the last game where i actually did that where repair was a skill i could invest in and i could just be good at mechanics and that was um a thing that was useful in this i actually found that i invested in that skill that's the first one i got because i was like oh cool i want to be like the janitor <laughs> like, i just want to go around maintaining Space all these janitor. machines and making sure everything works all right um because the, the first thing i uh, i was thinking of like rimmer maintaining the vending machines on red dwarf right the first <laughs> thing i you encounter that just has a big repair symbol on it you don't know what the hell it is like there's no indication of what it does um but you know you could repair that if you had the repair skill so i got the repair skill they went back there and said oh you don't have enough spare parts <laughs> that's <laughs> oh, exactly oh. exactly what i did i think some of the pacing of yeah that kind of stuff and then odd. and like, so that was my first playthrough and i got i got a slightly warped impression on my first playthrough because i was breezing through it a bit um and you know just taking it at a natural pace i guess but then on my second time through, I just kind of scoured it all because uh, I had a really good time. And I, I suddenly it just got under my skin. Like after I finished it, I played it in about an hour and a bit and kind of did the main quest bit. And when you do that, you get to like a key point in the main quest and then it pops up the message saying, thanks for playing Bray. You can pre-order here. And then when you close that message, you can actually still carry on playing. And in fact, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I didn't realize this the first time, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can only do after you've completed that. Um, hmm. And so it almost encourages you to keep playing after that um but yeah my first playthrough i i was had trouble with the combat and um but i did like it and then the next like couple of days i just kept really itching to play it again i just really got under my skin in that way and i just really like kept thinking about that place and it mm. kind of stuck with me and then i went back and and played it much more thoroughly and kind of scoured the whole level i found myself reading even on my first playthrough i read a lot of emails um because the interface for it is so good <laughs> like there are computers everywhere and their screens are enormous and it does the same thing like Doom 3 did, where the UI is just on the screen in the mm. world. There's not a separate mode for it. And your cur your crosshair becomes the cursor when you look at mm. it. And you can click on buttons that way. But they're so big and easy to to, to press. And uh, if there's emails on a, on a um, screen, on a machine, then the number of emails that are on it 
uh, is literally in a font that takes up the entire height yeah. of the screen yeah. <laughs> so like there would be a fucking giant three so from like 100 feet away you can see oh there's emails on there <laughs> and you can even see like in brackets how many you haven't read before i don't know how this machine knows that <laughs> um, uh, and then they have like utilities there's a lot of the utilities are the best ones you go oh is it utility yeah. yes i get to play and with something that's that's something i remember from like dsx every time you look, like computers would have emails but you're really after the ones that was like oh there's something special on this one yeah. i can rotate a satellite dish yeah. <laughs> i can let a security bot out of his thing um and but i think it uses it as a nice effect so i won't tell i won't, I won't say anything about why prey <laughs> um, nice uh might um you know what what happens at the start and what the story setup is but um there are some utilities which give you insight into some of the things you experience yeah. at the start of the game which is really nice i know. like how there's just a bunch of those that are only there for story reasons really yeah. like you press it it doesn't do anything that really helps you it just as you press it you're like oh that's what yeah what's and some of them are callbacks to something that happens at the start as well which just nice to know oh so they do this here as well you know that and that was the other reason i found myself reading a lot of emails was um uh it does a much better job than something like Deus Ex of giving you a reason to care about what's on these computers. Like, you are really connected to everything that's going on. And so, in a way that, I mean, a lot of games put you as, the, like, the most important person in the universe. This doesn't really feel like that. You are at the center of everything, but it doesn't feel like you're the chosen one. You're super powerful. It feels like um, just what is going on around you is is going to be of extreme interest to someone in your situation. And uh, when you read those emails, like, I would say more than 50% of the time... I understood who that person was in relation to me and what this email meant yeah. hmm. and it, to my story. And so it actually felt like it was telling the main story, not like side stuff. And actually who you are in the game is really very interesting. Like I haven't played a game, I haven't played a game quite like it where you, your status in the world is, is, is what it is. Yeah. And I think your perception of who you are in that world, like your role in, in the goings on, for me, I think changed twice just in that first hour. Like there was, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't really say any more. <laughs> this is going to be one of those pods we can't say. Well, this is frustrating. <laughs> yeah, but actually in the case in of Prey, Prey. Um, I actually, I was naturally saying it as you artificially <laughs> said it. In the case of Prey, it's not such a, a big deal if we can't talk about story because it's not primarily, well, that's not certainly not the only appeal of the game. Um, later, we're going to talk about a game where that's the only appeal. <laughs> we'll be able to say almost nothing. But um yeah, so like you went for repair and I went for uh, repair and then I went for strength. So mm. l like in Deus Ex and everything else, it's lifting. I mean, I, I must admit, I I'm not a big fan of doorways uh, with a pile of boxes, <laughs> I hate doorways. which 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 um, uh, demand exactly uh, level three strength yeah. to uh, to mm. pick up. That is not a kind of level design thing that I particularly appeal to. But the, you know, it should also require level zero owning a grenade. <laughs> i think that's true actually someone was telling me um i posted a video of this because i came to a level i invested all my points in strength to get up to level two because i thought that would help me clear this blockage that i'd seen on, the, on the, my previous playthrough and then discovered that no it requires level three to clear that blockage but there's a bench in front of it that requires level one to pick up so i picked up the bench and just threw it at the other stuff it kind of is a, in a tantrum and it kind of wedged between the two bigger things and pried one over and it just toppled down and then i could get through <laughs> oh my god i love this game um <laughs> But, but there's loads of room for kind of mucking around. There's a gun in it called the glue. The, the, yeah. What's it called? The glue, glue gun. gun. Glue gun, yeah. Which but, shoots out this kind of expansive foam stuff, which is good for trapping the little nasty little monsters. Yeah. In, but and, also creates objects all over the floor. Yeah. And you can like, 
sort of draw a staircase on a wall like if you fire it in steps along a wall then you create like footholds basically to to walk up it um and it has interesting logic where obviously they they wanted to limit that a little bit because they, otherwise you just get anywhere and there's surfaces that it will not adhere to yeah so i haven't found um are there like walls in the world it won't attach i haven't because what i found is that if i fire it at the floor it'll make a blob like a full-size blob and then if i try and fire a blob onto that blob yeah it um won't it'll actually bounce off it like the projectile bounces off the and existing foam and land somewhere to, else yeah. and so if it hits wall it'll create a foam blob if it hits foam blob it won't create a new foam blob and also if you shoot it too close to yourself it creates a tiny foam blob because it doesn't want to expand into you basically but there are still someone's posted an exploit where like there's certain areas you can't get to in the demo and like doors that can never be opened they have no key card and someone did a thing where like they put a heavy crate down in front of them uh with their back to this wall and then fired the glue gun onto it so that it expanded in a kind of like shell and pushed them through the door <laughs> and you can get in that way which is kind of cool if you can do that you should be allowed to do that yeah I it, it feels like a game designed to be exploited like it they, they, yeah. they, they are um, waiting it was for harvey smith to... who posted that gif he also posted an amazing gif of dishonored 2 i don't know if you saw Someone, the hammer? <laughs> yeah, someone had taken an unconscious civilian and snuck them onto yes. a workman's workbench um, and the workman and it's it's impressive that the animation is detailed enough that the physics objects react kind of <laughs> correctly to this yeah. but um, the, the workman is just supposed to be there hammering a piece of metal or something and he just goes about his job sort of you know lazily smacking this unconscious civilian in the crotch with a hammer it's very good um and the the you know the the ragdoll physics react as you might expect yeah that legs kick up it's nice it's very good uh you can um so the end of the main uh quest thread of this involves you watching a video on the screen in um in a certain room and uh i was watching someone else play this as a youtube video and He's just like, he's watching the video and he's just idly kind of swinging his wrench and it smashes the screen. <laughs> yeah. And it, but it like the glass breaking system is really good. It only yeah. smashes the bit you hit. And so he's like, oh shit. And then he has to walk to the side and it works like Star Trek view screens where the angle, it's like actually a 3D image that's it almost like, like another depth. room beyond the current room. Yeah. And so he can get around the breakage by moving to the left and looking at the other side of what's <laughs> happening. And of course, really cool. in that space behind the glass, there is a room as well, which is fucking yeah. great. So you've know. been in there? I have. Ah, interesting. It's full of stuff like that where, like, uh, I've really enjoyed watching other people play it because there are uh, loads of different ways to experience the sort of key uh, plot moments. And I've also, I mean, I'm in danger of, of ruining this game for myself by just obsessively replaying the demo. To, to Like, what I'm doing right now is, in total, in the demo, there's quite a lot of skill points. There's, like, um, there's enough to max out the strength thing all the way, and that's each tier of each new skill is, you know, five times more expensive than the last one. It's, like, a really steep... Um, costs increase but you can max out strength and so then if you don't max out strength and you keep those points and you save your game then you can <laughs> go back and try and max out all the other different threads like any given branch you can probably get to the end of it with the points you get in the demo and so i ended up trying to max out i was thinking what am i going to go for on the full game because strength i wasn't 100 percent happy with um it's not that great for combats it takes like a second to pick things up there's like a progress bar for picking things up um and also the combat's just so fucking fast and most most of the combat most of the challenge of the combat is just oh this thing jumped out at you when you didn't know it's coming so there's no ch no time to go and find something heavy to pick up and throw it at them. um and so then i went for the like something actually in the security tree which you know is kind of the combat tree and normally i would leave that well alone and go for all the you know less direct stuff but there's one in there that's like speed and then if you keep upgrading speed you go faster and you jump higher and so it's essentially like 
the yeah. jumpy legs org from Deus Ex, and you know my Deus Ex build is jumpy legs, lifty arms, <laughs> uh, punch many dudes. <laughs> I, I really want to find like a, a crest it's generator online. <laughs> I want it to be like my family crest, like have those things translated into Latin and then put yeah. on a, a shield. Um, as far as I know, there's no punch multiple people in, in Prey, but there is jumpy legs and lifty box. Um, and I tried lefty box, so I tried jumpy legs, and that's that's pretty cool. Maxed out, like you can sprint really fast, and you can jump, you know, twice as high as you normally can. So all the things you'd normally need to put a box there to climb onto, you can jump over. But now the thing I want to try out is like there's also like a sort of bullet time skill. Oh yeah. And I thought, well, I don't want to be like an action type dude, but actually, my problem with the combat is it's fiddly and it's hard to hit these things as they're jumping around too fast. So maybe if it just went into slow mo at that point, and I could like precisely take them all out in some cool way. That would actually solve that problem for me. Mm. Imagine Prey is going to be one of those games that we are returning to. Do you see how subtly I'm well mentioned? Yeah. <laughs> People are going to be fucking sick of this now. I know. Right? I'm Stop gonna do this, mentioning I'm the going to do this for one episode so they get sick of us doing this properly. <laughs> and um, go back to the old ways. Yeah. Um, I imagine we're definitely going to be coming back to this next week, aren't we? When yeah. We yeah. 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 The weekend plan right there. Exciting. Bring it on. Bring it on. I did want to mention that, because um, this is actually probably closest to news in the Prey demo is, that um, there's a game called XO1 that has its Kickstarter going at the moment. And I've been meaning to talk about it on the pod because I played it at Res. I believe, Alex, you're familiar with it as well? I've just seen some videos and I think it looks lovely. Mm. Tom, have you played it? No, yeah. I've just seen it. So um, I met the developer Jay and, and played it at Res um, the day after the live pod, or else I would have definitely mentioned it on the, on the live pod. Um, it is... It's a, so it is a, um, its inspirations are Journey and Tiny Wings, which is a sort of interesting combination of things, but also sort of like a hard sci-fi, kind of Kubrick 2001, that kind of thing. So it is going to be a sort of, you know, an experience game about a journey that you go on as a spherical space probe, advanced space probes sort of lost on these kind of like vast alien landscapes. And your control is similar to Tiny Wings or Tribes about um, holding down a button to pick up momentum as the spherical probe rolls down a hill and then releasing it to kind of gain um, altitude in the air and then sort of like steering yourself to the next hill and and rolling down that and going on to the next place. You can also flatten the sphere into a disc that is able to glide. And there's no sort of challenge in the sense that you can really go badly wrong or get too lost or anything. It's about getting to the next area. But that's one of the things I liked about it is that um, it looks gorgeous for one thing. And I like that kind of science fiction. But particularly, I'd never thought of using a movement system that I really love because I like, obviously, I love tribes, but also like tiny wings. Um, and just taking out the either the competitive element or just the yeah. timer, the, all of the kind of the you know the things that kind of it's going all in on kind of sensory kind of yeah, you know, I'm using it as a sensory thing. Like experience. you want to go fast and you want to not screw up and go slow, and you, you want to keep um, you want to keep your you know momentum going. But that's for aesthetic reasons rather than any specific pressing yeah. need, which is a nice idea. Like it feels like you fucked up if you don't stick a landing and you end up wobbling off down the wrong valley or something but at the same time you haven't you know you don't get set back or anything so i i think you know i thought it looked genuinely looks lovely and um i liked what i played of it which was the first two planets or so something. it does have the feel that it looks th- that it has it looks it has the feel that it looks like it has yeah. like the build i played had some experimental things in it so that there's a there's a tutorial which i think um i, I know he's going to rework so i was talking to him about it um 
which is about the kind of you're in a test facility for the probe and you go so fast you go into space which is what happens uh it's the farscape intro of, of sort of space accidents that this leaves you stranded in space i think that needs a little bit of reworking because i think at the moment probably tries to teach you too many of the different mechanics at once and all you really need to know is the roll downhill nice <laughs> um and it also goes into sort of experimental first person mode um which was cool um but i preferred the third person because one of the nice things about the third person mode is that it um it uses basically no ui if there is a ui it's there for sort of storytelling reasons to kind of show the probe kind of malfunctioning stuff like that like all of your all your knowledge about the probe's energy level and things like that comes from the fact that it glows internally in a very nice way there's a lot of beautiful materials like amazing clouds and sand and water and the kind of metal but not surface of the probe itself um it's great there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of games now that are looking to like old sci-fi book covers and 70s and 80s sci-fi cinema for their palette and kind of feel like Tolva is another one. They're very different games, but it's a nice time to be into that kind of thing. Mm. It's um, it's good, you know. Kubrick's Tiny Wings, and that's EXO. EXO one. Do you know what its XO what its target is on um, on Kickstarter? I don't actually because I haven't checked out the Kickstarter page yet, but I know that it, I know that it exists. So and it has yeah, I, I can certainly vouch for it because I I did like it. I think it was one of my highlights of Bresda. So yeah, a good a good game. Good space. Good space. You've good playing... XO1. Thanks for reminding me, Tom. XO1. You've been playing another space game. Lately. I have. Um, shall we talk briefly about in the, the, grim, the, grim, the far future of the... Grimdark. Grimdark, where yeah. there is sometimes war. Um, you played this, Tom? No. We're talking about Dawn of War 3. So before I talk about Dawn of War 3, I did want to give my disclaimer on Dawn of War 3, whereas I'm happy talking about it. However, I did work on a commercial project for the game, and I'm saying this. This is not a joke. This is genuine, like, a disclosure. I did what did do some video presenting for a, a YouTube series um, that Sega organized for the game's marketing campaign. So I have done that. I feel like my playing it is independent of that, but I feel like to be a responsible pod man... I should disclose that I have done that. A lot of the recommendation for Prey that I had heard before playing it was from Harvey Smith. <laughs> it was like, this game was fucking amazing. <laughs> so yeah, so um, I can I can talk to I can talk to uh, Dawn of War Three as a strategy fan and the things I want to say about it because um, I'm genuinely a bit taken with it now. Um, but I feel like I should give that caveat in case you're on Facebook or the YouTube's and you see me in a silly video talking about space, space war. orcs. Yeah. So, um, cause I actually, you know, like I, you know, I did the a little presenting work for the game and things like that, but like, I hadn't really like, I knew of it, but I wasn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, say I was super familiar with the ways it was going to be different. And now I've played close to half the campaign, but spent a lot of time in multiplayer and it's been a really, like, it's been, so it's been, it, it was weird because I, I almost wanted to talk about it last week. It's been the game that I've been thinking about and it's been kind of rare that a game does that to me as well where you kind of finish playing it and then you're like, oh man, like, I really keep thinking about, you know, this particular, we just want to go back and play more multiplayer matches and it's specifically a multiplayer that's really gotten its hooks into me. I know that you've been playing mostly single player. Yeah, the campaign, which I'm not particularly impressed by to be honest <clears throat> it's I've all right not played that much. maybe a, maybe five camp uh, levels in or something mm. it's 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 okay it, the campaign reminds me of um most strategy game campaigns yeah. to be honest um I, mean, I like starcraft 2's i think starcraft 2 is 
probably the high point for me of mm. RTS campaign design. But um, yeah, this one is one of those ones where it takes away, like it keeps resting control from you, you know, or taking away your mm. ability to do something because it serves the... Yeah, it's sort of halfway level. between a traditional RTS campaign and the StarCraft thing. Of, I mean, StarCraft 2 is always constantly taking away your ability to do stuff because every mission has a gimmick and every mission... That's true, has, like, but there's always, there's always a, there's <clears> a context to it and it's yeah. consistent. But this one, you'll be doing something uh, and then suddenly you can't do that because now your character's got to run across to that point. Yeah, that, that. that gets like, better as it goes on. It, yeah. it does a lot of tutorial stuff. And I think one of the things that the campaign doesn't quite get right is... Um, in Dawn of War 3, it, <laughs> um, it oscillates between each of the different factions. Yeah. So it goes, it, I mean, it doesn't stick to the same order after the, it does its first lap, but you're always playing a different faction. And Which that, I'm really enjoying, actually. That's really nice. Yeah, I was nice playing idea. with my son, who's massively into uh, 40k now. Mm. And so he was sort of, oh my God, you're Alda! Who's the Alda? Ah, orcs! Ah! It's like sort of squig! Like that, yeah, so. exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, I think there are things I like about it. There's a good thing about that approach, which is, yeah, you, you get the kind of the tour of the universe very quickly. The downside to it is it feels like it kind of has to do three tutorials in a row. That's Because each of the factions are so different to each other. I think the game's fundamentals are very strong and it carries it. But there's a sense that you're doing three tutorials in a row. So you'll do three different missions where you start out and it'll teach you the hero character and then it'll teach you how to how this faction manages bases and what's different about this faction's mechanics and that kind of but thing. But it's interesting. I, just, I thought that it was actually quite elegantly done that, um, you know, the, the orcs are the kind of uh, uh, the race where you just create loads of them and they're cannon fodder. And it the level design was such that, you know, you find yourself naturally making a shitload of them and finding yeah. them all torn up, you know, and, and like, oh, okay, I get it now. I, you know, I can see that they're kind of fun. Mm. I didn't have to tell you that. That's just quite elegantly done. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think it's generally quite well designed. The first Eldar mission teaches you the importance of teleporting your base buildings, which yeah. is the thing they can do. Um, there's no, there's not a lot of like, it's not just there for the sake of it, but nonetheless, you are not given... You know, by five or six, seven missions in, you are getting to the, I can build my own base and do my own thing point with most of the races. Yeah. But you maybe have to go a little bit longer to get to that than if you did all of the Space Marine missions and then all of the Orc missions, that kind of thing. Um, so that's, I mean, it might be worth saying that, so when they were, when they were advertising this game, they sort of pitched it as a, as a, and I know this, um, from, from working on some of that stuff that, you know, it's a halfway between Dawn of War 1, which was a more traditional kind of base building RTS, and Dawn of War 2, which was a, like a squad combat game with sort of, um, hero characters. Um, and Dawn of War 3 on, yeah, at the top level, it feels like a combination of the two, but actually, I think it's weirdly, I think it's very much its own game. Like, I think it feels like they have, it's, it's a rare example of a series where each of the three games is mark, markedly different from previous games in the same series. Um, this is a game that's fundamentally about kind of um, strategic asymmetry within the three factions, um, even though there are far more factions than than that in, in, in 40k, and they'll presumably expand it eventually with DLC and stuff, because that's what they did for the other games. Um, it has that StarCraft thing of like, we're going to pick three and we're going to make them feel very, very different to play. Um, but beyond that, they also, um, beyond that top layer, there's also a strategic layer with each, with each individual unit in terms of how much you choose to invest in that unit and how deep you decide to, not just in terms of resources, but in almost in terms of your retention, that the more you, like, 
it feels like the skill cap is very very high because the, the amount of active abilities on each unit is pretty high and you can upgrade them in that direction then you have the hero characters that it all have multiple abilities that are best used that could be effectively or ineffectively used. It's not just making sure that you press Q on them every time the cooldown comes down. It's about the appropriateness of each ability. And each ability does kind of like two things. The best example of this is like the orc leader's spin attack thing, which is a channeled ability. And after that, he stops using his regular melee attack and he just whirls his like fist on a string around his head, basically. And while he's doing that, he does constant damage to any unit that's next to him, as you'd expect from a spin attack. But it also deflects projectiles. So having him advance doing that attack, even if you're not hitting anything, shields everyone huddled around his feet. And so about the units move at different speeds. So, you know, managing that is is in itself a little strategic challenge, making sure that he's up at the front soaking up all the incoming fire. And the difference between getting that right and getting that wrong is basically losing a unit. So while you're taught that like, yeah, orcs are kind of throw away and you can build them and lose them, it's actually, it's better to not. It's better to try and play clever and, and, and use all of the different abilities in sync with each other, which makes it sound very intimidating. But I think it, it's to some extent supports levels of investment. And I think because it knows that all but the best players aren't going to be able to split, to give every unit and character all the attention, it's about prioritizing and figuring out in a huge fight, who are you going to focus on being the most efficient with? And then you push yourself a little bit further. And in that regard, um, it reminds me a lot of StarCraft because StarCraft enables a similar amount of micro. I find that its micro is friendlier than StarCraft because it's less abstract. The notion of like, you know, the best StarCraft players are stutter stepping every individual Marine to kind of get them into perfect blocking positions and things like that. And that's kind of nuts. It's nothing like that because it's sort of about deploying special abilities and and things like that on cue. Um, But also like the the it has a sort of dota style kind of level of finesse when it comes to successfully using those abilities like um it's not just this one does damage everything does more than one thing depending on the exact context in which you use it whether or not um you know whether or not you take advantage of a leap to get to high ground to siege a, a shielded position or whether you take advantage of a leap because it does a stun when you land or you use it to get out of the way or you use it for a bit of both like this, I'm making it sound mega complicated, but I think those, the way those features they, they, come together. They clearly together, delineated it. The, yeah. Yeah. The way those sort of that level of engagement with the sort of the nitty gritty of a battle, you sort of, you do your attack move command and then you really start micromanaging. Um, that I think makes even the sort of more straightforward single player bits fun because there's something, you know, doing it right feels gratifying in a way that I, I can't really think of another RTS recently outside of StarCraft that has felt that kind of consistently good to play Mm. um efficiently like taking advantage of all the options you're given um and this sort of i don't know does that match the way you've felt about Dawn of war so far yeah yeah pretty much i mean i haven't played anything like as much to require, take advantage of that but yeah i have enjoyed the abilities you know the, the heroes are they have really distinctive kind of um roles which has been fun actually mm. and i've been and i've been enjoying it a lot much more than a lot of Steam players, I would say. Indeed. So, um, but the, the, that's, that's all single player stuff. This, the place where it's really shone for me is in multiplayer. Um, I say this as a Dota player and someone who before I was into Dota was into StarCraft. Um, so I think I'm in, and who likes Warhammer. So I, I feel like I'm in so much in the target audience for this <laughs> that my views on it should be taken with a pinch of salt, an additional pinch of salt. Um, um, 
but I think what's interest what interests me about it is um the game has been getting a lot of flack um its steam reviews have been quite negative um reviews have been mixed like i don't i think if i was reviewing it it would be like i'm you know 80s ish it's not like i don't think it's a runaway success i don't think it's spectacular um i think it's extremely well designed um the it also feels like it feels like that that thing that's more pretty common in strategy games particularly which is like it's the promising base game um you know i've seen criticisms of it that you know, it doesn't have as much stuff as, as Dawn of War 1 or 2, but it's worth remembering Again, those, <laughs> both of those games got a fucking billion expansions. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, this feels like the base game where they get three factions right and lay the groundwork for like how this game is going to function. I now, you know, I'm really excited to see how it expands, but I, I kind of get my head around the fact that, okay, despite the fact that there are, you know, factions in that universe I'd love to see, I'm probably not going to see them yet because this is the scope of what they've been able to make with this first go. The reason, um, but, a lot of that ire that has been directed at Dawn of War has been directed at the fact that um, I think when they were marketing it, they decided that they want to push the fact that it's borrowed a little bit from MOBAs. Um, but actually, to be honest, Dawn of War, and it kind of has. I think I don't think it is anything like a MOBA for some crucial reasons. The main one being that MOBAs have lanes and minions and Dawn of War really has neither. It has maps that have roots on them, but so does StarCraft. Yeah. Like it has maps that have logical pathways and bottlenecks between two bases that players occupy. I saw a very That's long post on, on on Steam that kind of had lots of maps with this kind of great big argument, long argument saying that, you know, look at the paths with all these kind of drawn. Yeah. And this is like, I, these look like StarCraft maps to me. Yeah. <laughs> they basically, yeah, the RTS maps. Um, and that has drawn ire from, a sort of knee-jerk ire from people who don't play MOBAs really, like who just sort of, there's a, there's a, a fury that's associated with that genre and the notion that any game that borrows from it is necessarily cheapening itself by moving in a direction that's associated with free to play it's a weird mix of of feelings i don't think it's a very accurate comparison but to be fair i can level that criticism at the developers of the game for courting it because it's not fully appropriate weirdly it's a little bit like that poster calling prey uh, bioshock in space yeah calling dawn of war a moba <laughs> is a bit like for, it's just forgetting to call it a bit like warcraft 3 yeah, yeah. which that, is the game it's actually that's like exactly what i was gonna say yeah. yeah it's like um so you know oh man it's like a it's like a combination of an rts and a game with heroes on a map <laughs> if only if only that that genre of games with heroes on a map had come from an rts <laughs> um yeah it's 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 it reminds me a lot of warcraft 3 which is a game i loved like i was into i was into warcraft 3 before i was into starcraft like i got into starcraft after warcraft 3 and into starcraft 2 rather than i wasn't a brood war player or anything just i was watching uh some dota matches recently to see if i could understand it and i still Mm. can't um but uh they refer to the towers and the lanes as like t1 tower t2 tower and Mm -hmm. and stuff is that because in warcraft 3 they were literally the tech 1 tower and the tech 2 tower and the tech 3 tower no it's where they are so the oh, outer okay. towers are T1s, okay. the second tier is T2 and so on, down to tier 4, another base. It's because they have different amounts of health and have different, um, there are different mechanical yeah. things. In the original Dota though, was it, because there were three tiers of tower in, in Warcraft 3, and I'm wondering if there, there was the rickety wooden scout tower and then you could like build up into a more castle. I think they were actually. Okay. I think it might be an independent, I think it might be an independent thing. Because sometimes people say like outer tower as well. Mm. Um, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I think they were always the stone towers. Um, but yeah, so the, yeah, it's a lot more like the thing that, um, it does borrow from, from MOBAs though is basically towers. <laughs> so, um, the way in which it is, the way in which it does learn from that genre is that, um, regardless of whether you're playing at 1v1, 2v2 or 3v3, 
your side in Dawn of War 3 has a, um, a central power core thing, a central objective, an ancient, if you will, or a nexus that you lose the game if it dies. Um, that is protected by some turrets that cover the area around it. Um, that the number of which depends on how big the map is, basically. Um, it tends to be two in a 1v1 map, and I think it's more than that in a more people map. Who the knows? turrets c- close to that thing, so they're directly... Yeah, they cover defending. all possible routes to it. Yeah. Didn't, did you play Dawn of War 2 multiplayer? Uh, not loads, no. Didn't they do something very similar in this? Didn't they already have like a, a single central HQ and a bunch of turrets around it? Because I, I remember so, that being yeah. a thing about like you couldn't really rush in that game because they had this yeah, such it's a, strong it's a similar thing. Like this is like a big the turret is a big singular thing, and then beyond the turrets there are um, shield generators that you need to take down before you take down the turrets. And the shield generators are like bunkers, really. Like they don't. They don't do anything by themselves, but you can put troops in them who gain a shield while they're in there. So it's almost like a turret, but it's only a turret if you choose to man it. Or you can retreat to it and hide in there to kind of put off an attack and that kind of thing. And so in order to make progress towards the enemy core and win the game, you have to destroy these outer layers of defenses. Unlike a MOBA, though, there are no minions. So other than the units you build. So there's no... There's no defense push. there unless you put it there. Yeah, basically. Um, it's just basically layers of outer defenses in addition to anything you might build. Yeah, and your income it, is entirely based on the economy that you've set up. Yes. So, and then both within the territory that you might think you control, but also on the map generally, there are resource points um, that generate um, different, well, that have nodes that you can build on to get different types of resource out of the map. Um, and those are the only places where you can build anything like a defensive structure. Uh, yourself so that turrets basically like the only place you can build your own base defenses are around on resource points and what that means is you still have choice about where you put your base functionally um but you can't turtle fully the game almost turtles for you there's like a set amount of turtle that everyone has access to um but what this actually does uh, and it has a completely different the reason I, i think i rankle at the moba comparison is the impact this has on the way competitive real-time strategy works in this game is totally different to what it would do, What how a MOBA uses the same same basic top-level ideas of defenses, you know, the, of fixed defenses that you have to kind of build around. And it's because it actually gives you loads of freedom. Um, what it means is that rush strategies, early rush strategies are a part of the game, but for a completely different reason, and the way they impact the game is completely different to, say, something like StarCraft. If you if you engineer the correct, correct kind of rush that your opponent isn't ready to deal with in StarCraft, you have won the game, it is over. There's a reason that is a game of, like, five-minute GGs in pro games. When someone just scouts the enemy base, realize they've gone a different branch of the tech tree than the one they thought they were going to, the game is now over, gone, done. And that's because the stakes for winning and losing are so high. In this, you know, building in a particular way that lets you rush down a shield generator early in a way that the opponent's not going to be able to react to is good for you because each of those defenses you build gives you a hero point that will go sorry each of those defenses that you take down gives you a hero point that will push you further ahead in in the hero economy which is when you can bring in those special units than your opponent which can give you an advantage later in the game but it doesn't end the game and failing to repel it you're just a step along the road yeah um similarly because you know that the core is protected um, you start with the core and like your your faction's main base building, 
but because you know it's the core is protected, where you decide to start building your buildings and set up your actual troop manufacturing center can be basically anywhere. You know, the Eldar can move their buildings, so that particularly affects them. But, like, you see lots of strategies emerge around, like, where people decide to set up. Like, the Orcs are all about these war towers that generate scrap that they need for almost everything. And you see a lot of Orc players, like, move shop completely to the other side of the map and build somewhere else. It's still able to reinforce their defenses if they need to, but concealing their main horde in a particular place where the enemy's not expecting them, that kind of thing. The the base, the the maps also have like some interactive features that might create bridges and things to kind of open up new areas and new routes and things like that, and areas of stealth cover, which admittedly does work like brush from League of Legends. I totally buy that, but again, its impact on an RTS is totally different to its impact on a on a MOBA. It's like the same vocabulary but a totally different meaning. Yeah. Um, and because of this, I find that it's like I haven't had a bad game yet. It's weird. Its hit rate has been extraordinarily high in terms of games that I feel like I've lost and then it's turned into a kind of you can you can lose a lot and not lose, which I think is the measure of a good competitive game for me. Like you can you can get completely wiped out on a resource point that you've invested in building up, but you haven't lost because the economy's quite tight. Like there are a fixed number of resource points on the map. You can only really afford to build up so many of them. If your opponent is massing somewhere, then they are not massing everywhere else. And one of the funny psychological things about a fog of war based RTS is it's really easy to feel like you're behind. When you come across the enemy base and it's full of dudes, you're like, oh my God, they're so far ahead of me. And you won't realize that you're exactly the same amount of resources spent until the end of the game when you see the stat screen. But if you don't get disheartened by that and you then go, well, maybe the thing to do is not just throw my army at, the, at them here, but to go somewhere else and hit them where they can't be because there's no way they can be in two different places. Then that opens up all these strategic opportunities and it becomes a much more of a back and forth. And then when the armies do collide, because eventually they will have to, that's when the element of all of those active abilities and using them effectively comes in where you can you know you can rush early and there's usually one point on the map that generates hero points in addition to whatever other resources that it generates and that's a really powerful objective to go for because again getting ahead on those hero points is how you get your super units faster and those are the things that break stalemates what does it mean to be a hero it means, it means getting a purple hero diamonds yeah. <laughs> many minutes yeah until until they they deign to show up but what that's what i really like about that is that you know so if someone makes that their strategy and in a team game, particularly if a team makes that a strategy, we're going to hog the hero point. We're going to get our Night Titans, which are the massive walking Imperial Knights, the kind of massive walking death robots. And we are going to stomp down the middle and, and win. And they don't then micro it correctly. You can lose one of those heroes very, very, very quickly if you don't, if you're not careful and efficient and play to their strengths and weaknesses. And that means that even when you're behind, you can still kind of do it. Like I've had a couple of games now that I have been so sure I've lost. And I've had the time, because of those external defenses, I've had the time to kind of like fall back a bit, make a different plan and roll out again and then be, be successful. Like in Starcraft, if you, if the enemy has built something you can't deal with because you didn't tech for it, you've almost certainly lost because it's very unlikely that any enemy will give you enough time to build the other tech tree of buildings yeah. you need to counter their thing. So, like, my example is, like, I play mostly Space Marines, and I really like the Devastators, which are the guys with the big, chunky, heavy bolters. And I've picked all of my passive abilities and my army abilities and all these things you pick outside the game, which are their own level of complexity. 
to kind of emphasize that like i like building a kind of defensive position and just this wall of heavy firepower that i can hold any position forever and i know how to use things like the reinforcement mechanic on a point to kind of keep this army going um and then but what often means is i'm quite weak on vehicles and then sometimes against horde armies you really like need like the whirlwind which is the kind of artillery tank that can bring down big like mortar fire onto an area and does devastating damage to like massed infantry and i've had two games that i've won because i wasn't ready for a horde rush fallen back behind the defenses that the game has given me held that point for a while teched up in the other direction got the tanks and then i think in both cases because my opponent was winning they didn't change their strategy so when i came out with a different strategy they had no answer to it because hmm. suddenly i'm not running into their hordes of stuff i'm just bombarding them from a distance and they don't want to move because they've decided to place a forward base yeah, to spam me well, yeah. and the range on these things is massive so i'm just firing artillery over a hill into the only base they've got and that's um and then when you get the opponents that then react to that and then they back off and build somewhere else and they don't lose heart like i i, I really i really enjoyed all that stuff about it so you know which is you know i, I probably would have preferred to, to have not liked it as much given that i did work on the marketing campaign but i genuinely really i think it's i think it's a very clever real-time strategy game and it's a little bit of a shame that it's getting do, do you think that um some of the kind of the push and pull of the strategy is kind of early game early release kind of everyone's kind of exploring stuff and do you think that there's gonna get that kind of super formal starcraft 2e kind of stuff developing and is that do so you think the mechanics are i think be always as loose I, I hope they are. I feel like if any RTS had a shot at that, because that's the dream. I think if any RTS had a shot, it would be this one because, um, because of the amount of expertise that's potentially, potentially, you can potentially demonstrate with specific units. Um, it still feels like battles could potentially hinge on one person using a specific hero unit particularly effectively. Um, you know, correctly making the right judgment call with a specific ability in the same way that an underleveled character in dota can somehow turn a fight if you just make the exactly right play yeah um i hope so i think um obviously it benefits that these are you know my first 10 hours with the multiplayer and i'm only going to be playing people who aren't spectacularly but that said i have i have won games that i thought i was getting cheesed out of Whereas my experience of learning StarCraft was just learning cheeses by losing to them. Yeah. Like you learn the cheese the moment a load of invisible guys show up in your worker line and you've just lost and it's over. Like, whereas in this, you know, I, I played against a guy who was using orcs have these infuriating like stasis mines that they can place that are invisible unless you're looking for them. And you just walk over the hill into the enemy base and all your guys will just freeze. <laughs> and then all these guns will open up. And, you know, it's a perfectly valid strategy, but it's infuriating because, and it keeps <laughs> happening and they can kind of like place them in combat and like chain stun them and chain stun you and things like that. And I, I won that game when I realized to just stop being an idiot. I, I, he'd, he'd done that orc thing of building his base really far forward and mining all the areas around it. So whenever I tried to clear him out, because I was trying to contain him by like, you know, moving in to kill his men before they could charge out and attack me, I realized, and I, I lost loads of ground, and I realized I have one big army left in me, so I'm going to go the other way. And I just walked into his base, and he couldn't he couldn't stop me because he'd invested really hard in the other direction. And you could <laughs> see him scrambling to, you know, recalibrate his army, and I'd specced against, specced against that stuff and had heavily armored forward units just moving up, soaking up all the fire and... and keeping him away while the bigger units at the back just hammered on the core until it went down. And, but it feels like in a different RTS, I would have just lost that game and learned for next time. Oh, if you see York players doing this, just go the other way 
rather than having the chance to have that journey within the context of a single match. You're right. There's a good chance that won't, that feeling won't last. And if sort of alpha strategies do emerge, then as they may well do, maybe that won't, won't stick. But I think, um, I've been a little bit disheartened by the reaction to it simply because I think very few games have tried to fix some of the fundamental problems with the RTS or the reason the RTS is unfriendly to people. And one of the reasons the RTS is unfriendly is that sense that there's this wall of, 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 you know, metagame or, or macro scale knowledge that mm. you're only going to learn by failing a lot. Yeah. And this game feels like it's capable of teaching you in a match that's still going to be fair, yeah. at least when the players are of a similar skill level. Yeah. There's something a bit, um, uh, it feels like the RTS scene is maybe a bit dysfunctional in that I remember, you know, I'm a big RTS fan and, uh, on PC Gamer, like, I feel like about, Eight years ago, I noticed, hey, this seems to be the time when, like, no one is just making an RTS game. They're all trying to solve the genre. They're all like, oh, like, it was around the time Command & Conquer said, we're not going to have a base. It's all going to be mobile. And every RTS that came out was like, we're going to completely change the formula because there was a sense of, like, desperation about it. And then the RTS player base seems to have rejected all of those ideas. (laughs) Like, every time people do that, they're like, fuck this. This isn't what I remember from my the classic games. And... Even StarCraft, like, StarCraft is the most kind of old school uh, in a lot of ways, but it is, those campaigns are just, like, you know, a huge number of exquisitely crafted special case scenarios that are all, Mm. um, you know, showing off some new thing. And in in that way, I think it's probably been more accepted than others because that is something that old RTS campaigns did, but StarCraft is just doing that and not doing any normal missions. And even, like, you know, uh, Dark Crusade, which is, um, I think for a lot of the people who are, who are angry at Dawn of War 3 might see that as like the higher point of Dawn of War. If they were like really old school RTS fans, that was when it was peak RTS. And after that, it kind of went more in the hero direction. Um, that was still kind of a mess. Like it was an attempt to bolt a metagame onto an RTS, but it basically ended up recycling like multiplayer maps that made no sense. Like it didn't make any sense narratively. Usually in a single plan campaign, the maps look semi-realistic and multiplayer, mm. it, all bets are off and it's all symmetrical. And that was, they just you reuse multiplayer maps. So they were just all weirdly symmetrical and you'd fight on the same ones again and again. And, uh, it had a load of really obvious flaws with the strategy thing where like you take a territory, then someone would invade it immediately. So you just had to play the same map again. And you just won this, like sometimes by a huge margin and it's just pointless to have to play it again. And so it feels like that, like no one agrees on what the problems are and what the solutions are. And also the community doesn't want to accept any solutions to these problems. <laughs> yeah. It's it, like, I think this is not my comparison, but I've seen it compared to the, um, the hardcore adventure game mm. family. Oh, sorry. That's actually a what, fan base to a, that's what sprung to mind for me to a greater or lesser extent where it, the, the genres that at the same time struggled to find a place for themselves as the industry was changing, particularly during the, the dark years of the noughties where everything was, all that effort was being directed to consoles where those genres struggled the most to find mm. traction. The adventure game has reinvented itself completely. Um, with the exception of the throwback games that explicitly model themselves after old sort of scum 2D yeah. point and clicks. Like Broken Age and Thimbleweed. Yeah. Um, whereas otherwise you have, I would argue that things like The Walking Dead games and, and Life is Strange and things are kind of inheritors of yeah. Yeah. point and click to some extent. And I also feel like uh, games like Gone Home, like the, the first person, I mean, Walking Simulator is the mm. title they've ended up with. Those have taken on what was good about adventure games yeah. and ditched what was for me bad like i never liked the puzzles in adventure no, games yeah. I, I loved I, adventure I, games I but for the story the, 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 it was, the puzzles they just slow you down so yeah 
for the 12 megabytes of storage <laughs> space, he could make sure you could have a 12, like, 10 yeah, game or I think, I think that's probably what the reason, and we'll move on to a game like that very shortly, but mm. I think that's the reason that I, I, I'm quite as impressed by Dawn of War as I am. It, it's exactly the sort of game I would get impressed by because I tend to like weird experiments in genre that fix problems that, you know, that genre's had for a while. Um, I think it's, I think some of the negativity to it is, is a consequence of the fact that there are people who would be a lot happier if they didn't try and fix Dawn of War at all and just make Dawn of War 1 again. I get that. Um, but at the same time, I think, hope, um, you know, there's a risk that the genuine progress that they are making is, is going to get overshadowed by the anger over the fact that they hadn't made less <laughs> progress. Um, because the thing that it, it's a little bit like, like, you know, I never really enjoyed the puzzles and a lot of point and clicks unless they had good jokes associated with them. The thing I always struggled with in RTS games, I think if you really drilled down to it, it was sort of legibility and the visibility of, um, which, which unit or map features are going to have what effect and what does something really mean. And for all of its kind of noise and, and chaos in Dawn of War, it's actually quite good at communicating what something does. So, you know, as a, as an evolution, not a Dawn of War specifically, but of relics games, it has made a lot of ideas from Company of Heroes like cover and the importance of specific kind of resource points and things, mega gamey and mega visible. And that's probably where the mobile element is most cleanly felt. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I'm slightly put off by that stuff because, you know, it is so, you know, like the cover point is this sort of weird spinny energy kind of bubble now. Yeah, it's like you, of... you capture a point and then you gain a shield while you're in that point. Yeah. And then units that don't have the, like, assault quali- like keyword can't go in the bubble. So you need to bring in a melee unit that can charge to breach the bubble. And and that's kind of, I do find that. But it's what? like, it's sort of, I mean, you can, you know, break the bubble with firepower and stuff. Sure. And like, you know, there, there, there are ways around it. But I really like the legibility of that because it allows you to feel secure in a position unless you're up against a strategy that breaks True. it. And there's an element of sort of clever complicated rock paper scissors to how the units interact with each other that i find just a little bit more visible i say this as somebody who's very familiar with both of the games this is a bit like and the game that they're both like which is warcraft 3 like so maybe i'm just in a position where this feels very very comfortable to me and it feels like it's combining lots of things i like in a specific way so i I don't i don't imagine that it'd be for everybody but at the same time i can i can understand frustration that that dawn of war has always been a, a has been a um, a series which has gone out in its very distinctive own way. You know, like, first one was about capturing points, squads, and that kind of thing. You know, that development. Yeah, that was actually like Company of Heroes. A little bit new at the time. Yeah. I mean, Company of Heroes and Dawn of War, like versus the Blizzard School yeah. of RTS. The School of RTS is mining. You mine shit, yeah. <laughs> and that's how you get all your resources. And then Dawn of War and Company of Heroes were like, let's make the battlefield the thing that's valuable, and you take territory by taking these capture points. Mm. And I can see that you know when you when you actually then take away a lot of a lot of those rules and a lot of that kind of um, individuality, and you know those races are incredibly StarCraft. They are incredibly. Really? I think so. I don't find that really. Okay. Yeah. I well, I mean, okay. I'm going to totally. Uh, in in, the, in I think I think they're superficially mean, similar. Sorry, so, do you mean Warhammer so 40k races? Are yeah, like... So the Eldar in yeah, three, because it's I kind of the other way around, right? It's, very, it's, of course, yeah, like <laughs> totally cyclical. Because yeah, like it's, 
I get it. Like I thought, ah, oh, that's fine because they kind of it's like they get in their own back at last. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, but I'm going to totally bow to your knowledge because like I haven't played anything like. So I think, like, I can definitely see that, but not it as, might be superficial. I th- so there is so there is the techie alien race, the who can, horde race who can who can teleport the buildings. Yeah, the horde race. Uh, Protoss can't teleport their buildings. That's Terran. Protoss buildings teleport into place, but they don't teleport once they're there. That's true. Um, Terran, the the race that can move their buildings in Starcraft is Terrans. So, um, Protoss do have like a a mass teleport thing, don't they? Like to the mothership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Space Marines have that. And then, oh, right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, then, um, yeah, you're right in that, in that there is a, a human race that is based on space marines from Warhammer. <laughs> um, there is an alien race that are based on the Eldar from Warhammer, and there are a horde race, although they're not the Tyranids. So, like that, at least is, is different. I think I don't think any of those any of those factions are a close analog for the way they're. I mean, in fact, actually, weirdly, I find myself playing space marines and I'm a Protoss player, and now that I think of those two things, which <laughs> are the mass teleport and moving buildings. Um, I guess moving, you know, um, sorry, mass teleport and, um, static buildings is, is, you know, space marine thing in this. Um, the orcs are very different. The orcs are very clever designed for a horde race. I've never seen a horde race done like that where they're, they have their own resource thing with scrap that builds in their own way. Maybe you could say it was analogous to Zerg creep, but the way they basically like, cause they consume scrap to upgrade the unit that consumes the scrap, the fact that, they gain momentum not by just hoarding you with numbers straight away, but but by the fact that each individual unit gets stronger as it yeah. goes. And it means there is micro in that as well. It's not yeah. just happening automatically. To which unit you choose to receive the upgrade from the tank you just destroyed. Yeah. Like, I, I can't think of a race in Starcraft that makes that, that specific decision. Like, each of the races is, is defined by something like this. The Eldar are defined by the, the buff they get from being near their webways, which are the buildings you can move forward to kind of reinforce them. And they're really flimsy, but they gain a shield that... While they're standing next to one of those webways, the longer they're standing next to it, the more they gain, which then they deplete and then have to go back to a webway to get it back. But you can teleport the webways and that's where the, you know, the kind of the, their front line comes from. Whereas the orcs like to sit on a big pile of scrap, build up and then go and then maintain that momentum. But if you break that momentum, then they have to go back and sit on their scrap for a while to get it back. And the space marines live and die based on how efficiently they use the cooldowns on their drop pods, which are like an additional set of build cues where you can build a unit, but in space, and then bring it down to the battlefield whenever you want. And if you use that to bring that, you know, if you use that because you desperately need a unit of heavy weapons dudes at the back, it's a very inefficient way to use it, because ideally you want to be bringing down assault units directly on top of your opponent, because that's what a drop pod is for. But sometimes strategy will force you to use them differently. Like, I... I, while, yeah, I think superficially there are comparisons to StarCraft races, I don't think any of them are exactly the same, really. Like, I would... I also, the fact that you're building and upgrading squads, which is the traditional relic thing, rather than a marine, a firebat, a marine, a marine, a marine, the kind of StarCraft thing of everything being in hordes rather than squads yeah. is, I think, a very different feel as well. Because it means something to choose whether this, because one of the interesting, again, I could talk about, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to wrap up on this because I don't want to bang on about things I think are interesting about it, but um the way if this is an old relic idea but the way you're encouraged to if you return a unit back to its back to a building you can spend less to buy back anyone who's died in that unit so Hmm. it's cheaper to 
it's much cheaper to take a, a one guy from a, a, a devastated space marine unit back to a base and restore that unit than it is to build a new one and specifically if you chose to spend money to give that unit flamers or plasma guns or something then again you really want to get that one guy out and that again adds a level of finesse but quite readable finesse like yeah. you can see all those health bars it's not like in starcraft if you're amazing at it you want to cycle the guy who's about to die to the back of the group so that if yeah. your opponent isn't manic microing their own units someone else starts to take the damage and so that you end up ultimately with 40 alive but all wounded that, guys all the firepower yeah. rather than the attrition yeah. thing and um, then you can use your medevac to heal them all up and especially if you're Protoss, you do that because everyone has regenerating shields, so you can just constantly yeah. move people out. But that is that is a not intuitive to a new player. It's not it's not it's quite gamey like how that works. Obviously, it's an amazing competitive thing because it adds this vast skill cap for how good you can possibly be. Whereas the relic version of that, which is that oh that space marine unit is dying, and I can see that because it's really obvious, and you can see it on the bottom of the screen. That's the one you move to the back, or you just get him out of the fight. So you, you find yourself telling units to retreat when they're no longer really contributing. And that is a degree of like, you know, if you don't do that, you're going to suffer because you're going to lose units that you could more cheaply, that you have to expensively replace. But also the logic for doing that is really clear. It's like, well, it's not that I can then heal this guy up because, you know, this particular guy isn't dead. It's like that unit has suffered really big casualties. Get that one out. Send that one running back through the line and replace them with a fresh one. Which is closer to real strategy at that point. It feels less gamey. Mm. I don't know. Since we're talking about StarCraft a lot, uh, I suddenly remembered I have been um, watching. So, if you a long time listen to uh, listener to the Quick and Crowbar, way back in the day, I used to rave a lot about Tasteless and Artosis, mm. the commentators of professional StarCraft two matches. Who, for me, just I don't play StarCraft two competitively. Um, I barely play it single player, and um, but they made that the professional scene for that understandable to me and it used to be that to watch their stuff there were some free videos but you pretty much had to sign up to their to gom tv which is their weird sort of custom site player they in the years since they've actually moved to twitch and now like last time i looked i had to buy a subscription to their channel to watch their thing but now it just all seems to be free on their twitch mm. channel so it's just that the twitch channel is just the gsl um uh, actually don't know. I think it's just GSL, but search for GSL Twitch or even just GSL. And now you can watch like most of their stuff, um, just free. And I've been doing that and just watching whatever the latest season is. GSL is weird because when I first watched it, I thought it was this big, like rare tournament, like a kind of sort of huge one off the same way the international is like, you know, mm. every year, but, um, uh, only a couple of weeks. And, um, so quite a, a highlight and the gsl has actually never stopped <laughs> it's just always on at all times as soon as one series finished they just start a new season and uh so i just started watching the latest season and you know texas is still doing it and yep. they're still great um and uh it's really interesting to catch up with it now because obviously legacy of the void has happened since i last really mm -hmm. watched this i watched a little like when legacy of the void came out the main thing i was excited about was to get back into <laughs> to watching professional starcraft to see how these new units affected it but i didn't watch that many games um and i just started watching the it's gsl hot six season two is what i'm watching and uh it's the uh sort of early days of the of the top tournament which is code s um and so it's really good players but it's kind of the bottom rung of the really mm -hmm. good players figuring out who's going to go forwards and it's really cool it's like i feel like you don't get this so much in finals it's the time when 
really good players are doing crazy builds. <laughs> like, there's just been a whole bunch of matches. Sometimes through, like, because it's not the cream of the crop, sometimes there's stuff that that's interesting that happens because of that. And sometimes um, there's just people doing crazy strategies. So one thing that happened in, like, the first game is that two different professional-level players in professional play uh sent scouts to a location where the enemy could not possibly be <laughs> they didn't know that on this map they it never spawns the enemy like directly mm. across from you because it would make too short a route and it's like kind of a rookie level error and they both <laughs> did it like in this hugely public setting where everyone's watching them <laughs> and uh it's funny to hear the commentators react to that and then in um in the latest game i watched uh it was a terran versus protoss and i actually can't remember who it was i think young was one of them and the other one was i can't remember um and uh the terran player did uh a proxy like ran out and built barracks which, which means you build a production building in a really unexpected place instead of building it in your base you just run a, a worker somewhere that the enemy's not going to look and and build a production building and then when you produce units there a they don't know they're coming and b they're closer to the enemy base usually um so he built barracks and then he built a ghost academy <laughs> which suddenly the company's like what because <laughs> this is i've never seen this and i don't think it's been done in a professional game before like that was the commentators seem to imply that um it's a strategy that, that they say you'll sometimes see on the ladder like you'll you'll come up against it if you play enough starcraft games um but you don't usually see it in tournament level play because um it's a weird rush but weird rushes get better the weirder they are. Like, the the less expected they are, the more mm. powerful they are. So something that, like, in pure mechanics might not be the most effective thing. In tournament play, might be the most effective thing if it's never been done in tournament play. Because your your enemy is practiced no against every single strategy that's ever been used in tournament play, for sure. And so the one that hasn't been used in tournament play suddenly has this this big advantage. And ghosts are like, I didn't even know you could build them this fast. I thought they were like a, an end game unit. Like that's when you usually see them is in the very end of a really long Terran game. There'll be some ghosts and they'll be EMPing the, uh, what's the Protoss unit that makes storms? Archant. Um, um, no, Archons, things that make Archons. Yeah, the, the sorcerer type units. <laughs> anyway, whoever they are, <laughs> they're like, that's the, one of the Protoss leg game units, and then the, the ghosts are using EMPs to sap their energy so they can't make storms. Uh, but this guy's just building them right at the start of the game, and they can cloak as well, they go invisible. That's what they're called, ghosts. And, um, ghosts you are can, invisible, as we you know. can do a go, yeah, as we all know. <laughs> you can do a, ghost rush where you just make up a whole bunch of ghosts and they attack your enemy early enough that the enemy has no way to detect invisible units and in starcraft you literally can't attack an enemy if you can't see it even if you know for sure where it is even if the player themselves knows there's definitely a fucking ghost standing right there i can see them and my my units are uh, being blocked by it but you can't target it so you can't attack it and so the defender the protoss is in this bizarre position where he like he knows there's ghosts just walking into his base and so he actually does it like thinks really fast like he sees this coming um or he, sorry he doesn't see this coming and when he when it's upon him and the ghost is already in his base he positions three of his adepts which are his kind of uh, grunt type units uh across his ramp so that they're just three of them just standing in a kind of physical barricade because he knows the ghosts are coming he can't attack them in any way but he can just stand yeah, there Lord. and so a ghost is standing right in front of one of these guys shooting him in the face with a sniper rifle <laughs> again and again and again until he kills him and walks past there's nothing the other guy can do he can't fight back in any way he just this is just a stopgap measure to try and stop this uh these guys getting in at all and the ghosts get in turns out ghosts i think that maybe this has been sort of 
understood better since I last watched Darkraft, or maybe I just didn't know this because it wasn't happening in tournaments, but ghosts are really fucking good against workers. <laughs> like, they mm-hmm. one-shot them. So if you have a bunch of ghosts in the enemy worker line and they're invisible, you can just kill their workers. And if you do, like, uh, sort of... If you do some kind of harassment on the enemy base and you try and kill their workers rather than, like, going after their enemy or destroying buildings... Uh, sorry, going after their army or destroying buildings... Um, like, if you killed, like, eight of the enemy workers, you'd think, all right, cool, like, we did our job. Like, even if you lost your units, if it wasn't a huge commitment, you'd, you'd feel pretty good against that. He kills 54 workers <laughs> <laughs> with the ghosts. It's just, like, unprecedented carnage. It's just absolutely absurd. He just murders them and murders them and murders them. Um, and weirdly, the Protoss was actually doing his own rush of the same, like, much, much more conventional one that was, you know, uh, less of, much smaller commitment and um, less crazy and uh incredibly somehow the protest just holds on like they just uh the terran doesn't really have like a follow-up to it and Is they the managed to stabilize it the terran's just fighting off that that, that terran like really commits time. to that um yeah turning off that push that push doesn't end up being too serious because the protest is suddenly like oh shit <laughs> i need everything back home as quickly as possible um and then manage to stabilize uh and uh, the terran also doesn't like really overcommit once he does that much damage you don't really want to overextend or anything you're like okay well i've won this game so let's just let's just make sure i i can't die to anything um and i think he actually is in trouble from that protest rush but he, he also survives and then the game just somehow goes on and then a little while later um the protest uses these adepts who are one of my favorite i've never literally never used them at all in the game but uh i love the mechanic which is they can do a thing called i think it's shade where they create ghost versions of themselves. But not a ghost. Run out. No, not a ghost, but it, <laughs> they are ghostly apparition versions of the same unit. Um, so that you can still control the original unit, but there's a ghost version running out and you can control that too. The ghost version can't do anything except move and the old version can still like attack and, and do everything they want. Um, but at any time within a certain window, you can decide to kind of commit and make those ghosts real, the shades real. And so you can do things like uh, if you're in a big battle... You keep fighting, but you also run away with your shades. And then when you're at the limit of how long you can do that, you decide, do I actually want to run away? Because if I do, then I can just teleport and they can't possibly chase me because I'm, I'm miles away now. Or if the battle actually went in my favor, I can just stay there and c- carry on. And so he, he, you can also run shades like through uh, enemy units. And so he runs all the shades into the Terran, um, uh, what's it called? Worker line, like the mineral line. Um, uh, through all the Terran defenses and then commits and teleports all his, all his adepts into the Terran middle line and then just kills all of his SCVs. And the Terran ends up with like 13 SCVs versus like 35 probes, <laughs> like after that start. And, uh, that by itself was like a cool move, but not totally game winning. That only wins the game if the game goes on for a long time. But then at the same time, there's an engagement going on with their two armies. I think at this point, the Terran had a better army in this in this situation, but I think they just weren't paying as much attention to it. And so they lose that battle. And so the Terran just loses their economy and their army. And then they just surrender. <laughs> They're just like, fuck, I, I can't do this. Oh my so God. it's just the craziest rollercoaster game. It was amazing. Yeah. this That's the thing though, right? Like, StarCraft absolutely has the potential for that. And I don't mean to suggest, like, I, I would... I'd be extremely scared to suggest that Dawn of War was like better anyway, because like Starcraft's skill ceiling is so high, and the r- room for that kind of thing is 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 what makes it special. But I found that the reality of playing Starcraft is that games like that were quite uncommon, like yeah. genuine back and forth games where the first victory wasn't the end of the game, you know, or like 
where the ghosts or the Dark Templars showing up in your worker line didn't just end the game immediately. Uh, particularly in a context where players are very eager to rage quit. Yeah. Like, um, and I think, and I've had that, uh, you know, to admittedly, I've had, I have encountered that in Dawn of War. Like, I have had players who I, you know, have, like, taken a loss a bit early and then to come, I'm out. But it is, yeah, the fact that it's been a reliable generator of, like, stories a bit like that where it's like i can't believe i mean in a, in a much in a much less finesse kind of way in a much less precarious way because in starcraft there is no big chunky tower sitting between your base and and a potential rush you know there's no guarantee yeah that it won't work you have to you know when it happens it's amazing because everyone is on a tightrope without a safety net where but i think just providing that extra level of visibility and and kind of security for the players so that the strategy that ends the game won't be the first strategy necessarily won't be the first strategy that gets tried um, which is a lot more like a mobile i guess that works really well for me in this context because it means that like i haven't played a game yet where i've just rolled over the other person like where it's just like i've just done a thing or where i've just been rolled over where it's just like okay well i've done this you have no answer to it game's over where you'd have to be the best player in the world to repel it or bounce back from it it's just you know the best you can do is like oh we took your shield generator and that means i'm gonna get a bunch of terminators quicker than you expect um but maybe you have an answer to that maybe i don't play them very well and i don't know i feel like if it's the old thing about if uh if a grand strategy game is about a series of interesting decisions and an rts game is about a series of battles i think or a series of encounters and something about the aggregate of all of those things is what creates the the victory Starcraft is that if you're both amazing or if you're both idiots. <laughs> but if there's any imbalance, it, it swings extremely yeah. quickly. Yeah. Whereas Dawn of War feels a little bit more like, despite being a fundamentally stressful game <laughs> to to play, um, feels more like a genuine sort of for everybody version of that thing. But I hesitate extremely to say for everybody as someone who is particularly into this set of things. You are right right in the yeah it's, it is it is the the like, angle. <laughs> i mean yeah like it is it is relevant to my interests i'll say Just that. gazing at your <laughs> regional space there, marines your yeah regions. that looks is that a devastator with the last cannon uh it is that is a, a <clears throat> well i think you'll find that's a, a tartarus pattern terminator with an auto cannon an auto cannon really yeah, yeah. it's a re, it's a hor it's a horus heresy era auto cannon <laughs> All more. Is, if you want to hear more about horror <laughs> auto cannons, also known as the world's biggest gun, you can find out on Miniatures Monthly, Tom Senior and I's monthly spin-off Miniatures podcast, where we share pictures of our horror heresy era auto cannons <laughs> and more. Um, not on the podcast, obviously, in the associated blog post. But yeah, anyway, that's me on. I'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to to sign off on Dawn of Warhammer, but really do like it and i hope i would say i suspect that a, a year and a couple of steam sales and an expansion from now it will probably be looked at quite fondly yeah i, I think so too yeah Don't know what and i like it a little bit more now i've heard of you, you talking about it would you like to play some online i promise to be yeah and no, i do i would like to you can join my 2v2 team yeah, that'd be nice yeah that'd yeah be nice it's, it's a good time. I will let you down. <laughs> Actually, that's the other thing I'd say is that because it seems to emphasize team play, that is essentially more accessible than the 
the terrifying pressure of of like one v one Starcraft, where yeah, no, I you, you, I a single it. worker built at the wrong time and you've lost. Yeah, um, two v two or three v three Dawn of War is a quite a good quite a good time actually. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, the that that feeling of uh, mastering your build queue it's just oh, I just this felt like work I didn't want to do it and I never did play any online yeah I say so, the, yeah, the, the basic Starcraft discipline of like if you have unspent resources you're doing something wrong yeah. that applies to Dawn of War yeah but but that's I, I, that's a thing that I can you know okay that makes evident sense mm-hmm. you know it's not like it, it's it's it has a sort of a, a I can appreciate that one yeah yeah I remember that when I was like um trying to get better at starcraft and following guides like when you should build your nth mm. drone and when you should build a spawning pool and everything as zerg and i followed those guides and i did it effectively and suddenly i just had like fucking shit loads of money i'm like how do i spend this yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do i've I got buy? time to spend it i'm doing all the time doing it <laughs> and like four thousand minerals and <laughs> two thousand yeah. gas I'm like, i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> i'm too rich <laughs> yeah yeah, all right. I'm not going to bang on about it. Oh, I want to bang on about it. Should we I talk about, about a completely different game? Yes, let's talk about a completely different game. Gear shift. All right. Into dawn we, of Edith Finch. We, <laughs> we, almost, we almost managed to segue via that chat about adventure games earlier. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, yeah that was close, wasn't it? Yeah, that was too close. We like, we've sped past that segue. I, I actually think that podcast hosts dramatically overrate the importance of segues versus <laughs> how podcast listeners actually well, feel good, about the, i really want one topic to lead into the other naturally the good oh, thing, nice blend <laughs> the good thing about uh fucking up a segue or having no segue is it forces us to in a rather clunky way for anyone who fell asleep during the warhammer chat to uh to say why don't we talk about name of the game what remains of edith finch Mm-hmm. That's the name of the game, right? Yep. Yes, I got that right. Like, <laughs> I, I, I keep getting it's the not question. Everybody's gone to the Edith Finch, no. or um, or the vanishing of Edith Finch. <laughs> the vanishing of Edith Finch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to have to preface this by saying that I went into Edith Finch, um, which is a. It's by Annapurna. It's a what would be considered a sort of walking simulator two to three hour experience it's by what sorry annapurna i thought it was by giant sparrow by annapurna and giant sparrow all right that's true i mean it's by annapurna pictures i don't know who annapurna tell me about about annapurna annapurna Annapurna, the movie studio okay i think i don't know yeah you're right it is by giant sparrow they're just annapurna was the name i remembered because i know them from films (laughs) um giant sparrow did the the something swan? The, I the want to say the vanishing, vanishing swan. swan. Isn't it? The vanishing yeah. a swan. The, vanish- the vanishing swan. Okay, the, vanishing the, the unfinished swan. swan. Yeah. Unf- <laughs> yes. That's, I thought it was. I thought you were deliberately getting it wrong. <laughs> the vanishing of Ethan Swan. I thought that was wrong and then you convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> he said that you said something that was vaguely in my head and I thought, that's definitely what he was <laughs> That's the, been said recently. That's definitely correct. They made um, Warhammer 40,000 Swan. <laughs> if it has a bird in the title, they probably already made it because they have a bird in their title and so do their games i can't believe how i, I, thought, so I thought you were making a vanishing of and carter joke i i no i definitely was i, I was like that's not right it's the disappearing swan <laughs> it's, not funny it's just not a finished swan they made the unfinished swan which i didn't play 
Um, I did. I that was a game about splattering paint on a was. on a Very environment that to... you otherwise couldn't see. You could have yeah. called similar it to Scanner Swambre. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's very, very good. good. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that had come out after Scanner Sombre, you would have been made for a strapline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't really go with the unfinished Sombre. I didn't. I didn't really get on with um the 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 Swan. <laughs> the something Swan. Oh, well, the Swan game. I found it. Yeah. I. I. You know. It was. It was not. It was nice. Um. And I could see the appeal in working out these environments and. Did that ever come out on PC? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've never played it. I played it on PS4. So I don't think I don't it did. Know. I think really? it was, wasn't it? Wasn't it Sony console only when it launched? I'm pretty Let's sure. See. Wasn't okay. it Sony indie program? It thingy? might well have been. I say, yeah. Who knows? Maybe, Maybe when it was finally finished, it came out on PC. <laughs> <laughs> it was an early access on PC. <laughs> but Edith Finch is <laughs> the early access one. <laughs> is much less kind of mechanically contrived, I would say. And uh, so, yeah, it is a. We will do all we can, by the way. Yeah, not to funny. talk about. I was glad that I had not only. Did, I, I I bought it on the Buzz alone and knew basically nothing, and didn't even look at screenshots on their Steam page, which I would also recommend you don't do. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. Um, I watched like a whole trailer for it a year ago that actually, you know, showed a significant portion of the game. Really? Yeah, yeah. I must have seen that, but I've it's not it's gone here yeah, from my mind. Um, it is a, so it is a, it is a walking simulator, if that's the, you know, the, the term we're going to use for that genre about exploring it, you know, so I, I will say this, um, cause Alex, you were here for the chat about what well, we had the chat about, um, stories untold and my particular yeah. problem with stories untold that I danced around a lot, but it was that I was concerned that these games were telling the same stories over and over and over again. Um, not the same story exactly, but variants on the same sort of themes of, you know that there's a line you can thread from dear esther to stories untold where some lots of progress has been made but also in some regards some progress hasn't because um because uh edith finch i almost said ethan carter um <laughs> uh because edith finch is a game about exploring a quirky abandoned family home in the pacific northwest i immediately did my kind of like why are all games about this I roll because of course then all games aren't about this most games are about <laughs> space three, notably yeah well. exactly <laughs> um, I mean well, you've, you, you know you've only got a couple of missions that done away with three campaigns so the you know Captain Gabriel Angelos's haunting exploration <laughs> of his childhood home is, uh, is a treat that you've got to you, you've yet to encounter but yeah I had that initial impression of like oh I've done this before and then I realised I really really hadn't Anyways, I don't want to spoil for people. Yeah, it's it interesting the the clothes that it's dressed up in. Like, I don't know whether it's a, you know, we they they explicitly want the game the players to feel that the game is familiar. Like, oh, I know what to expect from this, and therefore they can mess around mm. with those. I think expectations. It's, it's good to go and expecting it's a story game. Yeah. Mm. It's not about challenge. It's about discovering a story. Um, the, to me, the thing that marks it out is. Um, just the astonishing amount of work that's going to it. Yeah. It is, it took them four years to make. And before it came out, I don't know, even though I watched that trailer a year ago, I didn't have any idea what the game was really. And I, to be honest, I was kind of wondering, like, why is it taking them so long? And then I played like the first bit of it. I'll just say like there's sections of it. Um, 
And the first section I played was like, oh shit, well that's where all development time went. Jesus Christ, how did they yeah. make that? And then every section I played, like, oh my god, like that as well. Uh, so it is Jesus it, Christ, the only time in so my life. It's the only time in my life where I've I've gotten to the towards the end of a two hour long game ish, two you know, and gone like thought back on the the things yeah. I'd done and gone, that was in the same game as this. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, you get that in really long games sometimes, but I've never had that experience. Like every other game like this, Dear Esther Gone Home, something like that I've played, has set out its stall about what it is fairly early and been that. Yeah. This is so continuously surprising, both in the way it looks and feels and the like crazy interaction design ideas. And I don't want to say things, but it's, yeah, like the density, like it's a density of what you're doing, but also density of just the things around you. There is, so much to absorb like mm. you walk into you're walking around a house and like every surface of that house has some things of significance to mm. look at to examine that will have some kind of thematic interplay with something else which which is there for you to notice or not like there is no pressure in this game it's not one of those games where you have to be paying attention to everything to get you know to to get what you need out of the game yeah it's all simply there and that's that's what's like that's feels like it's really playing to what video games should be you know you what interaction is yeah interaction is is not about doing what a designer tells you to do and it's not about doing absolutely everything and completing it all it's about being you in a space or playing somebody in a space and doing what feels natural and that's mm. what this game just totally fucking gets What's interesting is like it's not really uh, it's not anything like as much about environmental storytelling as other games because it's the main stories that it tells it tells through other means. Yeah. But in between, when you're just walking around the house, um, there is an incredible amount of environmental storytelling. Like it just it's so dense, and almost every room I walked into, like there was something where it was kind of almost like next level environmental storytelling, like certainly several levels above blood graffiti <laughs> where <laughs> there's something in the room where you, you look at it and think, Oh, why is that there? And you think, Oh, that's there because of this. And you just kind of piece together the history yeah. of like, not, not big events, but just small things about the lives of people like, Oh, he had to put that there because of this reason. And all the scale of things. So like there's sometimes a huge thing that you'll walk past and you know, you might not even notice it, but you know, and sometimes there are tiny details like a, a picture of, of somebody, you know, halfway mm. up a wall, you know, surrounded by other pictures. Like, no, it's quite, it's f- fucking remarkable. It's the first of these games that I've really thought I'm re- going to replay this. Like, I've yeah. never regretted, it's never been a question of the value proposition. Like, I'm happy to pay 10, 15 pounds for this on the basis that I'd pay that for a theatre ticket or a, you yeah. know, something like that for a game like this. But I can't believe that people wouldn't feel that they've got their money's worth no, out indeed. of it. You, you know, know, like, I I may well replay it because I now know the significance of things mm. that I saw at the beginning and like yeah it's it's genuinely great like I I was sort of I saw the buzz on Twitter I I didn't really see it coming at all I hadn't any any encounter with it and I saw the buzz on Twitter and and honestly just thought like well it'd be nice to be on, up to speed with something everyone's talking about <laughs> you know that's I'll play this and yeah blown away by it like it's, it's really 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 well made i've been playing it with my daughter who's nine and she has been spellbound by it there are some bits which are probably 
little bit irresponsible for me to <laughs> it's, but it's not like um a friend of ours was was talking about like sort of is this like gone home like is should you be playing this with your daughter because n- no it's not and also it's not scary like gone home hasn't got that atmosphere. yeah i was trying to I was, I was thinking about that while trying to figure out whether to recommend it to pip because it's not it's not jump scary no how did you get on with the um part where you're playing as a little girl yeah or the little girl so she she like, was she was like absolutely just enveloped in it okay. but not panicking and we talked about it a, a lot during it and afterwards and sort of to make sure she wasn't mm. having a bad you know that's it wasn't going to be a bad thing it, she was just completely invested in it and that's that's an example of the the way that the, this richness works mm. you can be a nine-year-old and get an enormous amount out of it or you can be a you know us <laughs> yeah and, and or you can you can be a you know you can overanalyze it you can underanalyze it and you'll get something from it mm. yeah it's genuinely it feels like um what happens when you invest that that that, that time and that ex- those extra resources are really on show the the sort of the technical limitations or the limitations in scope of games like gone home i mean gone home doesn't need more scope than it has it's no. its scope fits its story perfectly yes but this demonstrates what you can do if you have the time and resources to be to tell a a bigger kind of story that games don't usually tell that's the thing with them is it, that reminds me of um everybody's gone for the rapture which mm. which was very which is really very ambitious indeed you know trying to show you know a, a huge slice of, sort of english countryside and a whole village and things but then it suffers from the fact that it is made by a small studio yeah and it means you're it's almost too big for them. assets being repeated all over the place and for me and a lot of locked it doors. was like walking yeah lots of locked doors and it was for me it was that's what I tended to notice before I noticed the more finessed stuff, you know. Um, and this, you know, you're walking in a very confined space, um, but it, you know, they've invested everything in that. There's one thing I wish I'd known um, in either French, uh, just in the very abstract terms, where you have a piece of paper that tracks your kind of progress um, yeah. of various sections. And at a time when there were two sections not sort of filled in, uh i assumed that meant i had two sections of the game to go and actually i only had one to go and because of that i was really not ready for it to end i was i just so sure i had really, section coming. I, for me oh man it's so hard to unspoil yeah, this yeah i don't want to say anything for me the ending i i knew it was that was what was about to happen like i don't know i liked the in retrospect i like the ending at the time it happened i was like oh but i thought i was gonna get a thing about <laughs> and that's all i could say <laughs> I feel differently about that thing we can't <laughs> talk about. But yeah, um, I'd, I'd certainly recommend it to anyone. I think it's an early, one of the early kind of highlights of this year. I say early. It's May. It's, someone mentioned that it's E3 in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's like late in the year. Time yeah, will kill Jesus us all, Christ. Alex. Middle of the year. Yeah. Time doth waste us all. Mm. Yeah, so it's a shame like, um, it's a shame we can't spend more time on it because it's that good but at the same time i can't i just don't want to spoil it for there might be yeah. a spoiler cast sort of um in this yeah thing. there may well be actually mm. that's not a bad idea because i mean we could literally record a podcast that was as long as the entirety of what remains of <laughs> 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 yeah hello microphone microphone <laughs>
What? It's a logical thing to say. <laughs> I don't think we should do an intro to questions and questions. <laughs> no. I think that is the intro to questions and questions. <laughs> Does anyone want to say it? Shall we do some more questions? I'm here, by the way. Hi, Pip. Oh my god, it's Pip. Pip's come, Pip's come. She keeps teleporting in at this critical juncture. <laughs> I heard questions. I, I just appeared. It's fine. It's good. Pip loves to swing by for questions from questions. Mm-hmm. Where have you been, Pip? I have been in the other room, uh, just not hanging out with you, because <laughs> I didn't have anything I could talk about, because embargoes. Indeed. Well, I'm glad you're here now. Thanks. Answer questions, grudges, and in some cases, corrections from four years ago. <laughs> yeah. want to open with the amazing Rodolfo, who writes, Walloping howdies, cranes and crows. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had a good walloping howdy. In fact, we only really we've truly... had one. <laughs> we only really truly Just had one once. good walloping howdy. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is amazing. Begin more questions like this, or emails. So I was listening to episode four of the podcast. <laughs> and the game where you were a giant robot attacking a city whose name Tom didn't remember four years ago is Slave Zero. Thanks for the lovely podding. Sincerely, Rodolfo. I obviously have no idea what he's talking about. Or even it if was, it was you. It was, so you say episode four was four years ago? Uh, yeah. We started the podcast in 2013. So yes, it right. was. A lot happened in 2013. Um, did it? Yeah. yeah. Well, my, my game <laughs> okay. came out. It's Tom released Gunpoint. Oh, my game okay. came out and my niece that's was born thing. as well. Okay, that's two things. Fine. Yeah. A lot happened in my life in Your 2013. Story checks out. Started a podcast, released a game, became an uncle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am pretty sure he must be talking about Tom S because I Googled Slave One to see, uh, you know, it's totally feasible I would have been talking about it's a robot slave game. Zero, and not- Tom. Oh, fuck. Slave 1 is Boba Fett's ship. <laughs> That's why I asked you in the break. So <laughs> I know, so you couldn't get them mixed up. Um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've, it's feasible I'd be talking about a robot-based game and not be able to remember the name of it, but I googled this one and I've never seen it before, so I don't think it was me. But, was it, was so, it other Tom? Or uh, how many Toms do you know? I think it was Tom Senior. Okay. <laughs> Tom's, the Crate and Crowbar Toms. Mm. If it wasn't me, it's was probably um, him. It's a... Uh, there's a greater than zero chance that somebody has like just gotten into the Crate and Crowbar, listened to the first four episodes, gone, I'm just going to skip all the way to the current one <laughs> for whom this information is timely and on point. <laughs> it's amazing. That and you if that's you, I, I wouldn't recommend that anybody just skips through because like you have to, you have to go on this content journey with us yeah, yeah. all of, all of the way. I mean, otherwise you're just not going to understand contents, context. The context. Yeah. The context. <laughs> you got to understand Did the context. You try and invent the word context. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's good. It's an abomination, Alex. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to start a marketing company based on it. Can we start a marketing company <laughs> called Context? I feel like content journey gone, is something that come, right has come up in someone's slogan. I, uh, so look, I was <laughs> against it. I was against it until Alex basically implied a startup. Yeah, but Alex marketed it at you. What are you bringing to I this? I want a space hopper. I also think there could I, easily I, be. I will need someone to bounce around on a space hopper in can, my office. Can I be your like? Oh, 
Alex like, is a unicorn manic. now. <laughs> Can I be your, What like, is a unicorn? Why is everyone talking about unicorns? Boy. It's a startup that I think is valued at either oh, a million or a billion dollars or something. It's one of those kind that's of, oh, it's a magical creature that's attracting money. We're doing a terrible podcast thing of having two independent conversations at the same time. Actually, that might be the first time in 187 episodes that we've had two independent conversations at the Which same time. Which you wouldn't know if you'd skipped through all of the episodes. So in 200 episodes time, maybe somebody can point this out. I think About Face is a great name for a startup. <laughs> So maybe a unicorn startup. We're all, all right. Well, that was a clusterfuck. Let's move on. <laughs> We're all getting very excited about context. <laughs> this side of the room is getting excited about context. The other yeah. side is getting excited about unicorns. We've moved on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the what? opposite side of the room is getting excited. About unicorns. So, <laughs> yes, you're right now. The value of a unicorn is entirely based oh, on its rarity. So God. you could say that, that content is defined by its context. <laughs> Let's move swiftly or, up. It's not swift enough. Finley. <laughs> Thank goodness for Finley. Finley writes, this is going to be one of those silly question sections. This always happens whenever I bang on about a strategy game. Um, now that Chet has left Valve along with Walpaw and Laidlaw, what do you guys think? Of Mushroom Eleven, <laughs> <laughs> I thought the first five levels were incredibly good, like like absurdly good to the point where I was like, "Oh shit, this is going to be IGF grand prize for sure." And then right after that, it took a kind of nosedive in terms of it just became incredibly fiddly. A lot of the challenge was about just can like you know what you have to do, but just pulling it off was really difficult um, in a kind of annoying way. Like I keep, I, I want to you destroy parts of your mushroom and then it rebuilds in all directions and the challenge was just like oh you don't want it to build in all directions you want it to build in certain directions and so it just became annoying to keep having to trim it in certain ways and i also noticed i probably said this on the podcast before but that they took it to every single show like every show i've ever showed any of my games at mushroom 11 was there <laughs> and uh i suspect those first five levels were what they were showing because those were so beautifully polished they were just perfect um and i feel like the rest of the game suffered from difficulty spikes Question answered. I never played it. <laughs> I didn't play it either. I started and then I stopped. After level five? <laughs> no, after level one. Oh, shit. But that's more because I didn't really have anything left to say and I wasn't playing it in a timely enough fashion that I could pass it off as work. <laughs> <laughs> and I was probably supposed to be doing something else as well. I don't know. One of those things. Andelect writes... Do you think there will ever be a competitor to the Sims franchise like City Skylines was to SimCity? It's called living. <laughs> it's called living your real life and kicking Tom's microphone. No, I don't know. I think it's interesting that there isn't one. Mm, it is interesting. No one else is really... You decided. could say that stuff like RimWorld and things... I mean, there's like could a little you? bit... <laughs> Without Pip yelling at you. You could! <laughs> Today it is Alex's turn to be sat in the opposite corner from Pip. Is this, is this a thing? Yep. Is it? Opposite corner. If yeah. Yeah, I'm lazy. Have... I can't look at Tom. I can't see him. <laughs> it's, um, one of the things you learn is that Pip can only vehemently... Um, and somewhat randomly disagree with things you can see <laughs> like a t-rex in movement um <laughs> mm, mm, yeah uh so um it is, it is well, interesting how, how successfully have you ever had an argument with someone stood behind you 
Quite often, because usually I can't bear to face them. Oh, really? <laughs> Are just, you a car? I can't even look at you yeah. right now. It's usually in my head. Are you, oh. that, is a classic, that is a classic bit of blocking for a good old kitchen sink drama argument, though. That's oh, true. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's more like sniping, though, isn't it? That's more like having a go at someone and being Well, I'm a bit sorry like... that this isn't the kind of argument that you're specifically talking about. And mm. why are you even living here? <laughs> what was the question? The question was about The Sims. Oh, yeah. shit, no, I got the quote wrong. It's the maybe you shouldn't be living maybe here. Maybe you shouldn't right? be living here. Mm. Why are you living here? <laughs> why are you living the here? The ballet question! <laughs> this is like me trying to remember what Illidan says. <laughs> Gladiators Illidan ready. turns around and says, maybe you shouldn't be living here! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> In so I think that pretty much answers the question. I don't think I. I mean, so this is. It's really okay. difficult to make people, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, only one person here has done it. it takes Alex. at least nine months. So it's... I mean, I can tell you my part in the, the two times I did it. Piece of piss. <laughs> Alex has actually done it twice. So no that is not. not what you're supposed to do. Jesus Christ! Oh God! <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> isn't it interesting that there isn't an in- industry? But you could have a real human baby quicker than you could make a Sims thing, right? Y- yes. Yeah. So I mean, most games there you, you can go. Make, most games take longer than nine months. You could buy you a gun. God, I've been wasting my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Um, so <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, well, I mean, they've already put in the legwork as well. They're just building on a franchise that they've already got. Tarting yeah, true. Up the groundwork so is, the, is the tricky thing. Maybe it feels like it would be difficult to make a like domestic life game that would be sufficiently different from The Sims. But yeah. then, see, Skylines is like incredibly similar to maybe Sims. Yeah. maybe it took the failure of Sims. Yeah, Sims yeah. had to had to really Sims. rock up and fuck up <laughs> to, <laughs> <laughs> to speak. Yeah. <laughs> in order like, to create the opportunity where everyone's like people... oh yeah I do want a SimCity game but uh, not this one <laughs> but maybe but like, maybe EA is don't kind of... people buy the Sims often now because they know what they're getting into they know that there'll be a, a pets expansion and they know that there'll be a holiday expansion and that they know that there'll be some kind of aggressive microphone being pushed in your face it was Chris. drooping uh it, right <laughs> But, I mean, anyway, so, the thing, where was I? Can I, getting with the Sims. Can I jump in? Uh, uh, please do. Please the, the reason I laughed inappropriately during the middle of that was because when he said, as soon as he said Sims Pets, I suddenly remembered that we once did a back page in PC Gamer um, where World of Warcraft Cataclysm had just come out. And so we were thinking about, like, what other funny games you could just apply Cataclysm to as an expansion. And so I did a back page about Sims three pets cataclysm <laughs> and there was just like a, a rift in the earth into which all your pets were falling and uh, it got reported on by sims fan sites it's like oh my god there's sims pets coming for sims 3 <laughs> and also a cataclysm was it a, <laughs> the cataclysm part was ignored was it was the just cat like, in the cataclysm yes there was a cat Amazing. falling into the into the yeah rift. no that's fine good well anyway i think did that answer some of the questions definitely not Said, right? It's difficult and it's been done and people are locked into a system. Yeah, okay, fine. Right. Yeah. Good. Solved. Um, <laughs> Zed writes, does games journalism, which is heavy on the screenshot and videos that are commentated over, downplay the importance of sound in games? No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
You talk to any sound designer in games and they kind of grumble and go, oh, what? We're never, yeah, everyone... No, we're never fully... For any given perspective. <laughs> <laughs> they sound so bad, given their, their job. Um, you need a sound engineer. <laughs> I mean, but also, uh, I don't know, like, I don't think the fact that you can print and publish screenshots of a game actually makes the text of the article talk more about the the pictures graphics. no if anything it makes you talk about them less yeah I and do. it's true sound is really important and it's true that it's maybe not talked about as much but i don't think that means it should be because actually it's just impossible to describe <laughs> sounds like trying to describe sounds is just writing a losing battle can you imagine writing like you know you can say the sound is great what you can't say is when you fire a gun and it goes <laughs> and you're like yeah I like think but, but instead what you do is like it, it like firing a gun feels good and and you acknowledge the fact that sound yeah, plays a role in that yeah, yeah. hopefully there is definitely a lack of vocabulary and also it does feel like it's the wrong medium like if you're doing a voiceover on a video bit you could point out the parts where sound is good or like you can sort of stop talking and let someone mm. actually listen to it but like oh god imagine that though <laughs> it's like now everybody we're going to all i stop talking we're going to listen to a obsession of this game and then you go let's all appreciate the game i Where am going to make when you do at context <laughs> context our new media marketing company i oh. our first bid we're going to go we're going to pitch frontier for elite a series of elite dangerous station docking noises <laughs> asmr videos <laughs> narrated by me this is why i got you on board <laughs> exactly These are the ideas that i'm looking for it's the right content in the right context, context. Oh. <laughs> oh my god you're both fired from your own company i'm not part of it but you're still fired There's... having one company doesn't give you the right to fire <laughs> yes it does it's in the company's house rules whatever <laughs> whatever that thing they sent me was <laughs> tom shouted shotgun when the first company was fired. <laughs> no wait i work there Oh, shit. <laughs> We've been acquired. They, uh, what should I do? <laughs> so I remember hearing that it was actually like a little bit of a problem when registering the company that, that has the word shotgun in it. Like oh, there's, really? some extra, there's some extra checks you have to go through if you have... We are speaking to you company. live on the day that um, Rock Paper Shotgun, uh, it was announced, has been acquired by Eurogamer Network. Or Gamer Network. They, I hope they have to go through extra checks for that because it's like gamers, really, yeah. really. You want to create a company over that? Are you sure? The have you met gamers? Though, like we tweeted about it, I wrote an article about it, and I was kind of like, "This is essentially just writing an article about something that I think a lot of people assumed was true anyway." Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. like it, there's definitely yeah. an element of like, "Oh, I did what you already true <laughs> when I started working there?" Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I Maybe all of them. Yes. No, I, I wrote a disclaimer at the end of an article once, and before it got published, John was like. No, they don't. <laughs> Why have you disclaimed that they do? And I was like, well, because Over I think we need to have a sit down and a talk about the structure of this corporation. <laughs> because I don't know. Because it said at the bottom, you know, part of the gamer network. Yeah. Oh well, this is the 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 veneer of professionalism that they've acquired. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you can't unbuy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. much as you might try after this podcast the <laughs> <Deacquizize. laughs> 
That's our other company. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. The acquisition. Because you got fired from Context. A subsidiary of Context. Oh, wow. It's weird the way we got deacquisized there. Oh, wait. <laughs> We're taking all of the venture capital, or as I like to call it, Vapital. <laughs> <laughs> and we're leaving. <laughs> Vapital is actually kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> this is the worst. The actual worst. But I want to say that putting screenshots on a website does not equal talking adequately about artwork. Yeah. As somebody who knows And this... what is a video except a lot of screenshots really quickly? What? No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's stupid. (laughs) Sorry, I was being stupid on purpose. (laughs) But, like, as as somebody who has a degree in, like, talking about art and and (laughs) paid a lot of... Is your degree in literally talking about art? I'm in a lot of student debt. (laughs) <laughs> so I, got a campus on I need it to mean something <laughs> but like the, i write dedicated art features about games but it's because it's a sort of more niche thing that isn't actually talked about in particular detail people will say oh but the graphics are lovely or there's a nice mood or something but yeah. again it doesn't equate to really digging into influences or styles or you know choices in Ba-doo. that way and same with uh audio unless yeah. you are um one of a handful of well-known composers like uh chris remo or jessica curry or austin wintry you know mm. Mm. I totally agree. Um, but it is nice that these days it feels like people talk more about art than they used to and less about graphics than they used to. Like there was mm. a time when it was just graphics. There was mm. no mention of the artistic sensibilities at all. It was just, yeah. Yeah. this one has higher fidelity. This one is better. And these days it, it seems like fidelity is n- not so much of an arms race. It's like that's stabilized a little bit. Mm. And now people are talking more about like, oh, this game has nice art. Mm. They're not talking in a very sophisticated way about it. But <laughs> Please make it mean something. <laughs> Otherwise, that BA is worthless. <laughs> I used my uh, language degree for the first time in 10 years last weekend. You write for a living? No, but I mean, someone needed like a linguistic question answered rather oh, than just okay. I thought you were just like, you've just been doing it through my No, I mean, if anything, if anything, I had to relearn how to write after university. Oh. Um... <laughs> Well, that's bleak. Anyway. Um, George writes, you must revamp the Olympics. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Because of the, this fancy we're going on, Pip. Okay. Be patient. Um, choose new events for the next games, but they must be real versions of video game mini games. What would you pick? No question mark, giving it a kind of uh, demand thrust. (laughs) Hmm. I mean, like real versions of the mini games. How real? Like, because most mini games are abstract. Like mm. the hacking mini games in almost every game is some weird abstract thing. Like the pipe mania thing from Bioshock. Is he talking about like? Drill have to be a physical Drill pipe. Plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever can finish the plumbing. That would be kind of fun. I'd like to see that. Whoever can finish the plumbing first gets the loyalty of a turret. And whoever fails, like they've made a pipe to nowhere through which the ooze just sprays, <laughs> like <laughs> it just gushes out all over the audience. Um, but also I did want to loads of mini games, like video game abstractions of real mini games. Like you've got like little sack races and things in Mario Party, and it's because like that's a a thing that happens in when real you say life. real mini games you mean 
games that people play in real life. Well, hang on. I thought we were just talking about small games within digital platform. Yeah, but you games. said mini games were like mini real games. games. Wait, I'm wondering what, what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you say sack race, you're... there's a sack race in Mario Party. And, you press and, A and that's... because that's all you do in Mario Party. <laughs> <laughs> and in real life, people use sack races too. Well, you yeah, so you're saying mini games and video sacks. games are like actual games in real. Well, I mean, life. I'm saying that it's a, a loop. <laughs> it's, it's a closed loop. <laughs> like okay. if, if we don't go for the abstractions that you're talking about, essentially mini games are just chasing things. Yeah, some of them. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, Mass Effect Andromeda has Sudoku. Sudoku in it. Which I really like. So actually, I, I really to, like it as well. I want to talk about this You'll because I've, I've heard a lot of complaints. <laughs> I've played Sudoku and I actually like Mass Effect more because it has like an extra constraint which makes it easier to solve. Where, what? what does um, it do? Well, actually some Sudokus do this as well. But um, you, <laughs> oh, so you're a, a sort in. of a straight, a basic Sudoku is just like the rows and the columns have to add up to the same. And then Mass Effect has special shapes on it as well. That like these shapes also only contain one of each type. Yeah, thing. They have so that it's in pretty quick to solve. Okay. That's an actual like. Branch but that makes it just really easy. So you can just solve it really fast. Mm. Um, anyway, I like those, and I was reminded of the fact that I like those recently because I played Prey, and Prey's hacking mini game is goes the other direction where they obviously. I don't know if this is a conscious thought process, but instead of being a kind of thinky thing, it's an action type thing. And you have to move an object around in a kind of obstacle course. And if you touch any obstacles, you rebound really violently. So it's really hard to regain control. So it becomes a very like precision game of moving on console, moving the thumbstick around in a very precise way. And then when you get to the target, you also have to press a, a button that you don't know what it is until you get to the target. So it will, you get the target and then it says press B and you're like, oh shit, what's B? <laughs> uh, I'm playing on PlayStation. So I'm, it says press X and I go for the, the leftmost button, face <laughs> yeah. button, because I'm used to my Xbox controllers where that's where X is. And actually the X is at the bottom on a PlayStation control. Thanks, you two companies for fucking us all over in that way. <laughs> End rant. <laughs> um, Just as an aside, uh, have you seen the the comparison of the Xbox and the Nintendo face buttons? No. Where the X X and B and X and Y, uh, A and B and X and Y are both used, mm. but in oh, exactly yeah. opposite ways. Oh, no. So the A and B are the other way around and the X and Y are the other way around. It's like, what? It kept screwing me up in Zelda. Yeah. Okay, I'm not buying Breath of the Wild now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, unless I can plug an Xbox controller. I guess my, my choice of minigame would be more like, you know that, um, the thing that all games use to determine the power of a golf swing where it, the actual oh, yeah. power of the shots oscillates between yeah. exchanges yeah. and you have to like press it when it's in the middle. I would like to apply that to all real sports <laughs> where all people must at all times be on a kind of danger continuum between <laughs> both extremes of hitting and extremes of not hitting. So There's a physical game, isn't there, that I think maybe someone like Robin Baumgarten made um, where oh. it was just a knife. Lime wobbler. Oh. No, it was a knife oscill- oscillating backwards and forwards and you had to keep your finger pressed down on a button and then, but like obviously avoid being hit by the knife as it came round. It was going quite slowly, but I imagine you you could really speed it up and do some damage and you know like you that could be exactly then you've, got, you've got something worth fighting game. over you know but um i would go with viva pinata because it's it, i want a pinata and if that's going to be an olympic sport i want it any arguments none good none. <laughs> you've changed think, your tune i think i'm pronouncing this right keys writes or keys Right, with VR for, uh, blah, 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 with VR failing to hit something resembling critical mass, 
how would you go about solving that kind of chicken egg problem? Ch- chicken egg? <laughs> chicken egg. It's two metaphors at the same time. Chegg. <laughs> Chegg. Classic Chegg problem. <laughs> God. A, a subsidiary of contempt. <laughs> Is Chegg a unicorn? Just don't I know don't yet. know. You'd glue the horn onto the egg. <laughs> An egg with a horn. Egg. I really want to know whether someone's got Chegg. Unicheg. Egghorn.com. What are we talking about? Uh, okay. Uh, I wanted to ask this question to uh, say that there are already VR games that have been uh, mega successful. Really? What, what, is, what are they chosen to put on Chegg.com? What can you get on Chegg.com? You, you find resources for learning. <laughs> Have they got uni? <laughs> Hang on. Have they got chicken corn? <laughs> it's chicken and corn. <laughs> no, unicorn. I don't know why I wrote resources for learning as the funniest answer to any question. <laughs> what happens at x.com? x.com. Resources for learning. x.com probably isn't Someone's resources. For- well, it's resources for learning a certain kind of thing. Someone's bought it. Oh, it's on Go. It's, it's parked on GoDaddy. Oh, they're squatting it. Squatting it. Squatting on the chicken. Do you use any any one letter domains? No. Since I mentioned X, oh, well, T dot co is the Twitter URL yeah. shortener. So I guess we all use that, right? That's true. Where were true we? that, Tom. What the fuck was the question? <laughs> um, I wanted to say. Uh, I, I started to say this. Uh, there are already successful VR games. So um, my friend Dante makes Onward, which is um, a kind of like a VR version of Counter Strike uh, in some ways, and that's already mega successful. That's like you know you launch your indie game and you get those kinds of sales, you're fucking happy. <laughs> like, and that's not the only one. That raw data has also been a huge success, and. Um, who was mentioned in an earlier question was um uh keen to point this out that like vr is already a, a thing where if you make a game that's successful in vr you can already um you know top the steam charts yeah, and the job simulator was huge as well yeah i want to point out this isn't a chicken and egg problem because it's not like you know if you don't install enough eggs for chickens <laughs> No one's playing VR. <laughs> Isn't it? Well, wouldn't it technically be a chicken egg problem in that it's about where the support should go? So well, you, where should, Like, that still have, hasn't been answered. You can't have user support without developer support, and you can't have developer right. support without user support. Isn't so, yeah, that the, the nature of the chicken egg problem? Well, no, because you just want people to buy more VR hats, really, don't you? You want to increase yes, both of them. That, um, Pip's point, which I, th- I thought was pretty good, was that the, the chicken and egg problem is not about... Oh, it's so hard to create chickens or eggs. It's, it's, <laughs> it's about which, which... which came first, right? It's a mystery yeah. about who knows which of these things was technically first. It's got almost a semantic problem as to which Thank the you. first of these things was, Thank was you classified. for remembering what I said when I wasn't being recorded. <laughs> the question of like, when two things depend on each other, how do you kickstart them? That's different. Like, no one's trying to kickstart chicken and egg. Well, maybe they are, but they what? don't call that chicken Alex, egg. We are launching the kickstarter for chicken egg. Oh, shit. <laughs> Monday morning. Check. Wait, no, Check. no. Scoop.com from content. It has content. to be earlier than that because the podcast goes out on Friday, so someone could scoop you. No, they can't scoop us. Why We've not? already done the things. Chegg is unscoopable. You can't scoop. It. You can't scoop a chicken egg. Okay, fine. But the nine hundred grand we're looking for. <laughs> what we're making? 
don't know. <laughs> I mean, checks. <laughs> we can't work it out. You can't apply for venture capital if you if you're not willing to just say dunno to what you need the money Vapital. for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, no, wait, wait, wait. But they could sell bundles. There we go. Bundles. Bundles of what? VR hats and games Ego at the rundles. same time. No, but this is how consoles used to work. I don't know if they still do because I. <laughs> I love how when, like, normally when someone is sitting in the seat where the, the microphone droops, they would usually keep putting the microphone up. But Pippa's just lowered in her seat. <laughs> yes. to the oh yeah, I'm basically almost, lying down right almost now. Almost lying down in an office chair now. Yes. I, I'm increasingly concerned that this is an unlistenable business. <laughs> Wait, no, I answered the question, though. Didn't I? Did we? Yeah, I said bundles. People need bundles. Of what? Of VR. Just a of bundle VR. of VR. <laughs> Put it in an egg. And bund that's, uh, VR. Probably not helping. <laughs> Bundler. Bund Bundver. Oh, God. Dot com. Come to you. But that's how you sell a console. Oh, bund for a check you right attach now. Attach it to something, and then and then people will buy it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure bund for check is a Norwegian delicacy. Welcome to the 187th and final episode of the Crate and Crowbar, <laughs> where we finally invent the bund for check. And get rich and leave. Oh, God. <laughs> Tom, we should have got in on this. <laughs> Tom, Tom doesn't need the Bunvercheg bunts. I do. You, you, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a vital they Tom. don't want to acquire me anymore? <laughs> you, you've been acquired. <laughs> By content. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> Was that... So I think that pretty much answers the question. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> What's right. the next question? Um, so, the, <laughs> June. What? June writes. Right. Okay. Dear Crate and Crow Pub. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I'm boy. sorry, carry on without me. Do you remember? You know, given and if we're harking back all the way to episode one, no, episode four. Do you remember when we started this podcast? Like, wouldn't it be funny if we did the PC Gamer podcast, but drunk? <laughs> One hundred and eighty-seven episodes is how long that joke can last before it wears off. Near uh, <clears throat> Creighton Crow Pub. In a strange turn of events, Creighton Crowbar has become a pub in a world full of neon lights and triangles, waiting to open its doors to a scruffy man in a trench coat, possibly with an immaculate beard. Slightly, <laughs> slight, slightly too long pause. Also, curiously, all of the hosts and guests of the Creighton Crowbar are now the NPCs waiting patiently in a fixed location as owners and patrons of this establishment. What will your NPC bark be? And what will your quest that leads to the forbidden consumable, the ludonarrative disco biscuit, be? Thanks for the barks. June. I was kind of thinking about something related to this recently because... Yours would be, oh, come on, Tom, let's not make <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on! <laughs> um, because I'm writing a character for Heatsinkshire who is just in the bar and at any time, every character you ever play as can go up to her and basically say, you all have your own personal problems and she can help you with them. And so I was thinking, how does that conversation start? Like, how do you kind of... you're like, you know she's the intel broker and she's sitting in the corner of the bar, so you go over there 
do you say hi to her first or does she say something to you first and i basically decided that, like you go over there in general it's not great to have the player say something first because like if you if the player's gonna have a choice then suddenly they're presented with a dialogue choice with no prompt to react to so that's weird and if they if you make them say something automatically maybe it's not something they didn't want to say so I think it's better to have the NPC say something first. Mm. So you walk over to them and basically she is going to sort of notice you walking over to her and be like, can I help you with something? And so that's kind of how I ended up doing it. So my NPC would, would respond in such a way that like doesn't require the player to say something first. Like, what's your you problem? You could have made her the <laughs> bartender. That actually, John, that like was John's in instinct Trek. as well. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. If you're like someone you want to talk to, so someone you have a natural reason to talk to is, is a bartender. Yeah. Um, I mad, decided yeah. that she shouldn't be because I wanted her to be a little bit mysterious and shady. Like the bartender is kind of a different character who's going to have a bunch of lore about this this faction and tell you a lo- load about that and be much more forthcoming. She's actually a little bit mysterious. If you have a problem and you go to her and you ask her, you can pay her to get your information. But other than that, she's like not going to be super talkative. Hmm. Hmm. That would be Pip's bark. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> what would it be? Get out of my pub. Because <laughs> I like Barbara Windsor and I'm not doing any quests because I live there. I'm not leaving. You, you don't have to do quests. You're giving them quests. What? Oh, I didn't hear the question then. <laughs> the question was what quests would you dispense to the player characters entering this pub that we are doomed to spend a time But then what in? do I get out of it? An item, goods or services. No, because then they get the goods and services. I'm not parting with my biscuits. (laughs) Where did biscuits come from? (laughs) Ask them for biscuits. Well, no, but that's what they... The the premise of the question was that they get biscuits as a reward. There must be something in life that you would exchange for... Disco biscuits is not the same as biscuits. Disco biscuits. I still want my biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) Tell them to go and get you some biscuits, and in return you'll give give them them some law. Uh, you don't value law, right? Oh, God, no, but I also don't collect it. <laughs> Steal some from Chris. Oh, that's true. Yeah, no, I'll give them Chris. <laughs> yeah. For every biscuit, for every biscuit, they... <laughs> Wait, hang on, what? <laughs> you went a step further there without be, me noticing. I could be like one of those, like, temporary MMO companions that, yeah. like, everyone in the city ends up with, so there's just a billion <laughs> memes everywhere. You're, you're the default companion. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, wait. I could get them to play Shove Hate Me with me. What's that? It's a game that no one wants to play with me, ever. It's, you get, well, you don't get Hate Me because they're not real anymore, but you put, um, like, a 2P or something on the edge of a board. That's the opposite with, like, of Hate Me. <laughs> Sorry. It's not. That would be a penny. <laughs> Mathematically, Pip's got this one. <laughs> it's four times the halfpenny that you'll ever be. That's the opposite. No, because it's, it's double instead of half. The opposite. Double is the opposite of half. Yeah. So it's a penny. But so two p is the opposite of a halfpenny. No. A halfpenny is, a half, a is half a penny. And a, a, a penny is double a halfpenny. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see where you're coming from. No, you're right. 
Wow. <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't expect this to have a resolution. I was just about to abandon it. <laughs> You're finally on board with how opposites work. It's because you've, you've hit the, anyway. the one thing you both have in common, which is maths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway, right. so, but, so you have like a board with like lines marked on it and you have a 2P that's dangling half off the edge and then you whack it with your hand and with the flat of your hand and then it shoves up the board and it has to land between two lines for you to get the points. How big and, were Hapneys? Uh, oh, enormous size, size of, your of head. a man's. <laughs> <laughs> so I could hate me. It was actually like head pennies. <laughs> yeah, that's what it stands for. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd been on the learning resources website, you'd know this. <laughs> Bunver check sells head pennies. <laughs> but yeah, so I would. So be what able would your to... bike? Would you a game of shove halfpenny with me? Will it be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except Barbara Windsor doesn't sound. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> shove eight me. <laughs> yeah, with my thripney bits because she's uh, with the sauciness of the um, of the previous films that she has done for the for the Carry On Corporation or whatever it was. <laughs> Carry On. But you know, with the, like wandering around with her waps out, you know what she did. Yeah. What what she did do that yeah yeah um but Alex what would Owen, your bark be no he's in that is just a nervous <laughs> laugh <laughs> God sorry yeah. <laughs> um I mean it's, they're they're often terrible yeah Are you just but, they're, they're, be but it's because like but it, it's what Tom was talking about about how you've got to think of some kind of narrative context for why two total strangers would start talking to each other. Yeah, the main thing was... was, And that's the problem with Barks, is that... Well, I don't know. In my experience, it usually starts with, the problem with the games industry is, (laughs) and then someone gesticulating wildly. If NPCs were were always bartenders or taxi drivers, it would make perfect sense the way Mm. they suddenly volunteer information to you. (laughs) You do anything nice with the weekend, every NPC shouts. That would be a good buck. Yeah. Yeah. Are you? There you go, you see. <laughs> yes, Conversation is ground to a halt. Yes, I am. Oh. I figured it out. I remembered. Good. Well done. Thanks. Have we? Is this? Yes. Good. Um, <laughs> Marius writes, Dear Creep and Crawler, I consider myself a big fan of Frictional's horror games like Amnesia and Soma, despite never getting further than a couple of hours into any of them. I play them at night with the lights off, as the old gods intended, and find it very easy to immerse myself in the feeling of being first stalked and then chased by some horrific creature. After particularly palpitation-inducing sessions... (laughs) Pip finds that funny... I put the game down and promise myself I'll come back to it later when I'm feeling more up to it, but never do. (laughs) On the one hand... (laughs) I only get to experience a small... portion of each game... And I'm apparently missing out on some quite good thinking and philosophizing in the latter stages of the games. Particularly in Soma. On the other hand... I should never have come May take some here. time. 
<laughs> I feel like I get to experience the emotions the games intend to evoke very effectively and intensely. Should. <laughs> Should I push myself <laughs> to play more of these games? Make things easier on myself by playing in better lit <laughs> Or just accept that this is the way I'm going to experience these kinds of games. Cheers, Marius. And I'm so sorry. It's not your question. It's entirely... I can see where Pip's mind was going and I wanted to be a dick <laughs> oh god I'm gonna interject <laughs> and uh, say something I've said many many times on the pod before but uh, apparently not enough which is that uh, I really enjoyed Christopher Odd's playthrough of Soma and I tried to play the game myself and I liked it mostly but I mostly liked the story and I didn't really like the scares and if you watch someone else play it the scares are less scary and the story is just a story um and yeah, Chris Rod is especially good at, at, at kind of milking every. All right, <laughs> extracting every word of story. Trying to be as specific as possible here. Uh, he really reads every email and pe- also like figures out like, oh, this was like sent six weeks before this other email that I read, and pieces it all together in a way that like you get more out of the story of the game by watching him play than you probably will by playing yourself. Hmm. By so, playing yes. yourself. <laughs> Just to be clear about my wording there. <laughs> I think if you want anybody to know what your game's about, you shouldn't put it behind horror games. Indeed. <laughs> like, if you want to do philosophizing, you don't put it behind a scary door. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, but like, scanner, uh, sombra, 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 Uh, that is a game that, that kind of just lends itself to horror inherently through the mechanic. Mm. Um, but they don't go, I don't know, they, they toy with that direction, but it's not really a horror game. Um, well, mm, mm, <laughs> mm. you say that, but you say that as somebody who wasn't scared enough. <laughs> yeah. I, on the other hand, was so scared that I've only played half of it. And then I cried. <laughs> okay. You cried. I did. Um, <laughs> I was too scared. I had to be out of the room with the PC in it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't have a good point to make about this. <laughs> anyway, what? so if anything interesting happened in the last half of that game, who knows? Who knows? I'm never going to. I don't think anything I is wrong. I liked it, though. It was very pretty. Mm. That wasn't shade. <laughs> I don't think anything is wrong with Marius today, even though he looks like he's seen a ghost. Wow. You really had to work to get that one in there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That's... Wow. That's like... Never mind. I know Someone got that. Someone got there. We got there. Pip got there. But it was... It felt like a lot of reading to get to a joke that we then interrupted. (laughs) I'm really sorry. It's alright, Pip. It's alright. cut this in it's the It's only edit. the best joke I'll ever make. Oh, that's sad. It is. <laughs> um, but um, what 
I so I thought this reminded me of of I know that my friend Nathan Dighton, who uh, is part of PlayStation Access. Oh yeah, our pal Nathan. Mm. Um, Your had, pal and mine, Nathan Dighton, had this experience with Alien, um, Alien Isolation very recently, where mm. he just found it too stressful until he persevered with it, and then he found the many rich rewards that happen when you persevere. So while mm. I kind of I think that he's he's right to point out that. You're getting something true from the experience if you are so scared you don't want to continue. However, pushing through that to sort of see where that feeling can take you is rewarding and maybe worth... No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Intercepted. Well, I mean, I, I think they're like roller coasters and some people just don't find a reward on the other side. They just find more scary things. Like, you know, I don't see that what I would have gained by playing more of PT. Do you? And I don't think you could have gone more green. No, exactly. See, so it would have just been like, perhaps, you know, you know yourself and, and, and it's okay to not finish horror games. It's fine. You can just be fine. Everyone, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. But what I'm saying Don't is, let there's Chris maybe something bully you into playing something. It's like spicy food. There are oh. rewards to persevering. And also punishments. <laughs> Punishment is a reward. Per no, reward. it's not. <laughs> <laughs> not everything is a startup. <laughs> Punishment. With that attitude, you'll never fit in in Silicon Valley. Tom. I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry that we butchered your question, Marius, and indeed everybody else. But we'll continue butchering questions. We've answered all of them. Literally all of them. No, we haven't. Chris, but not oh. me, a different Chris, hmm. if such a thing is possible, writes, A question to the fine merry folk of the Creighton Crowbar. What do you think of the current shining mechanics and or, and or, styles of modern game that will be considered as cool retro in the future? We have 16-bit game tunes and chunky pixel art now. What will we be hunkering for in 20 years' time when we're all jacked into our VR matrices? Or... Will we still be playing games with Chunky Pixel Lot and 16-bit tunes? Thanks, I love the show. Chris. I haven't noticed... It's kind of a niche thing, but uh, like an, amongst a certain circle of my friends, a nostalgia for PS1-era polygonal graphics. Mm. Like 3D, shitty textures, low poly count. <laughs> low res. Yeah. yeah. What games is this being? I, don't, I want to say like GoldenEye-era. I don't know if that's actually... Oh, but I mean, like, what is there now? Of. Like, yeah, what, like oh, you mean games that are nothing? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is an era oh. that I think people Look, will it, be nostalgic. It was a oh. people, people are nostalgic for it, but they haven't yet made games that that are specifically trying to capture that. Unless, like, uh, does something like Strafe count? Where yeah, it's, yeah, that's is like Metro. a Quake-like. I feel like or that's d- Descent. Yeah, Quake One or Descent mm. kind of era polygonal stuff. I don't think we will get nostalgia. F- I don't know. Like, there's a lot of like. I think any attempt at like more realistic CGI never like I don't think that's ever going to spur nostalgia really like but won't it be that people who are children now will t- take what they are playing and associate it with their childhood and then hark back to that so it will be whatever people children? who aren't us are yeah. playing right so somebody I was having a conversation with somebody the other day because uh, about the recently announced Call of Duty World War Two, they're calling it, um, who explained that modern warfare, as in Call of Duty 4, was their first computer game 
and all of time opened up in front of me like an endless tunnel with only one destination which is death (laughs) (laughs) that's just the future indeed yeah no it was the the full it's like the opening sequence of doctor who except um sad so were they pretending they'd never done world war ii before no but their assumption was like well that was my first one so I, i understand there were retro ones before that (laughs) <laughs> but like that's where the series really began for me a young man in the year 2017 <laughs> and that um was alarming and it i don't know i don't know what that proves i just wanted to Scholar duty like that name the reason that name means anything was that like it started with medal of honor and then it split off from medal mm. of honor right call of duty was like that a bunch of people split off and they made their own thing and then that turned out to be super good and it was a super good world war ii game I I don't know this because I didn't really play it, but <laughs> apparently it was a super good World War Two game, and that was why when they did Modern Warfare, people gave a shit. It was like, oh, those guys who did that really good World War Two game did this. Let's play that. And now that's a true story, Tom. Yeah, that's the history. <laughs> if you didn't know the history, now you know the history. <laughs> but, but what may I ask was the point? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. To back us up with a point. <laughs> I thought I was just saying things. Okay. <laughs> um, but it is like, don't know, it's, it's, if they're all the, 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 the games that are kind of looking back at the retro games, they're always, they're picking on like a style, like a consistent style that kind of that, defines an era. That was yeah. defined by the, yeah, the technology in that, that era. And, we can't really see what that is now. I guess it's linked to the thing Tom was saying earlier about art being more important than graphics now. I like was of, right. You were right. <laughs> and that was right then. Like Quake's graphics, like looking back on them now, there was a consistency to them that kind of, you know, that defied, you know, the level of power that they had. Like mm. it was they, they looked good. Yeah. Do you think people aren't going to... And be... these days, I mean, if you go for I, realism, I, I there is no Minecraft style in realism, you know? Minecraft, yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It's got such kind of, um, it's got such reach now that I imagine, like, classic Minecraft, like, yeah. you know, things like the Creeper and things like that will be thought of as like, oh man, remember the original Creeper before they added well, they did, political like, slogans Mike, to it? Yeah, <laughs> Microsoft like, made it realistic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just a creepy man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you know, that's before, gonna be weird actually because that, the that's... grim reality of his fleshy corpulence <laughs> <laughs> that's the genre of games where like i don't know the, the, they weren't done before but they were their fidelity level was way behind what was being done at the same time yeah. like with the scale of the worlds they're making and the, the the fact that you could change them all and that would be remembered was unprecedented but the Fidelity was way behind the, all the other worlds that weren't doing that kind of persistence. And so, yeah, that's going to be a, a strange moment in nostalgia in 10 years. But it's weird. It's like sort of because Roblox uh, aesthetics have kind of, you know, moved out of the Roblox community into the games. that It's kind of like, so let's stuff like Unturned, you know, which was a Roblox kind mm. of mini game or game. What is Roblox? Roblox is a game making community oh, okay. kind of Minecraftish. Minecraftish, but much more focus on making games. So it's basically a huge bundle of mini games made by the community. Mm. And Roblox. So someone made a, De- a Daisy 
clone inside um, Roblox. That became then somebody copied that and that became unturned. Oh, right. Unturned was then the guy is the guy putting you know bring going into Unity and remaking that. So it's like this sort of but it he, looks he's like a Roblox, tiny which is child, sort of, right? Yeah, he was a high school or something. <laughs> very small, very small. How small? <laughs> It's Canadian, so it's different, okay, different so sizes. Different, different kind of set of scales. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but it's weird that there's sort of like uh, where style is kind of divorced from technology is already happened. In, and, yeah. yeah. Mm, especially with games and services, because you want things to stay uh, current looking or not current looking, but um, to be independent from technology in a certain amount in in a certain way because you don't want an update to people's graphics cards to instantly invalidate your game as service you know immediately so you know you get things that have more of a um style choice that is agnostic of the tech in some ways so that league of legendsy sort of Thing. maybe that's not so well, true anymore but because they'll to be. revamp things so there might be a point in the future with league where it or with dota even where it has like been existing under valve or riots aegis for a certain amount of time and they do a, a range of retro skins where it makes it look like you know when the game first came out or something or mm. you know back in the day or the first international the first worlds whatever but um so i don't quite mean that stuff but i mean more kind of stuff like world of warcraft you know Mm. that that kind of um where you don't want to have to do major overhauls of enormous worlds every year you know sorry was that that was the question right ish i mean well (laughs) like i think i think wow is a good point like i think vanilla wow will be one of those things people are kind of nostalgic for well people are they've made a server called nostalrius that's yeah. true. And had a massive fight about yes. it. Yes. You're not wrong. <laughs> In many ways, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. To grudges. Oh, yay. <laughs> I'm going to need a little bit of help with this because we have two grudges. Okay. And I don't know what how to read them. Okay. I don't know. Can you do one in Spanish? <laughs> Too far, Tom. Okay. So less far than Spanish. French? Don't say Spanish. Oh, come on. <laughs> Liverpool. I could actually. <laughs> maybe like, you're not. from there. I am actually from Liverpool, yeah. That is a thing. Were we going to get into trouble, though, if you do it wrong? Like, I'd probably be existentially distraught if I insulted an actual Liverpudlian by going back to the accent I grew up with. Do it with. like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> Even if the ducks are angry, you won't know. They won't write in. <laughs> no, because that's going to... So we had we had one complaint right. about my excited from voice from the last <laughs> podcast. Really? What? Yeah. What, were you not excited enough? No, I was too excited and maybe that should never happen again. Oh. Mm. It wasn't, you know, unreasonable about it. I probably agree in some ways. Well, should we just read these like normal people then? I feel like that would be a... I mean, that would... I don't know. I mean, yes. I could do, (laughs) but 
I can't only imagine the disappointed faces of the kids at home. But you don't have to. This is audio. What? <laughs> I can imagine things yeah, visually, even but, when performing an audio experience. But, I mean, you can't see them. Physically? Yeah. No. Right. Spiritually? Oh, my God. What do you want from us? Just suggestions other than Spanish and duck. <laughs> but those were <laughs> Somewhere between the two. Never puddling. Waiter. <laughs> Okay, we'll go with waiter. Wait, what is waiter box? I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Hello, CNC. <laughs> right, John. I've held a powerful grudge against the classic Sierra Adventure games for almost 30 years now. Yeah. I used to love them. King's Quest, Space Quest, Police Quest, even Leisure Suit Larry. Quest. Quest. <laughs> <laughs> I bought King's Quest 4 back in 1988. It came on 13 five and a quarter inch floppy disks. And the box said it was the biggest game ever created over four megabytes. I spent four months playing it, but when I finally reached the last scene, I was completely stumped. You were supposed to beat the evil eye switch or whatever, and I had tried everything. I later found out that the only way to defeat her was by shooting her with a heart arrow from Cupid's bow. Here's the thing. The Cupid's bow was one of the first items I found in the game, and it only came with two arrows. I had used one to become friends with the unicorn. And I had wasted I'm all right, I'm all right. the other one right in the beginning of the game, shooting it at a tree or something. <laughs> The moment I shot that second arrow, I was screwed. And I could not finish the game, but it gave me clues at all about this. But it gave no clues at all uh. about this. <laughs> A sentence that makes sense. Even at 13 years old, I felt disgusted by this awful game design. I later found the much better LucasArts games, and I never looked back. Love the podcast, John from Sweden. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's in. That's entirely reasonable. What a load of old codswallop. Indeed. Mm. If two grudges. I thought yes. that Chris was going to read that, but it sounded more like a waiter came in and read that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. That is unusually cruel of you. <laughs> um, I, need, I need a suggestion for grudge two. While I pour myself another rum, totally advisedly. Oh, God. Gardner? Wait, this isn't helpful, is it? You'll just do your waiter voice and try and pretend that there's more flowers involved. You're, yeah, you've, you've got my number there. So that's goblin. That's, that's the rum finished. <laughs> that is the rum finished. It's what Marsh would have wanted. It, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> when he was alive. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy who complained about the excited voice is going to complain about it. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> well, it's at um, the end. People can stop listening, right? That's your power. <laughs> you can turn it off. As the consumer of contents. <laughs> <laughs> What do we... <laughs> we need to have a board meeting after this. <laughs> Robert writes, hello. <laughs> Please find below my grudge, for which I humbly ask your consideration for the grudgeonomicon. <laughs> I'm so happy with my choice. <laughs> Roguelikes. <laughs> 
Love him. <laughs> Delving deeper, carefully considering every action, everything seeming more meaningful. <laughs> Just like the perfect voice to talk about roguelikes. Due to potential loss of your current session with a single misstep. <laughs> Making the most of the available resources for a Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> and upgrades. Being forced to discover new combos. <laughs> when you've given what you thought was chaff. Learning the intricacies. Of each system and how to push against the rules to tip the odds in your favour. So far, so good. <laughs> Where? What? <laughs> what I find so <laughs> agonisingly frustrating is when a well-constructed and balanced roguelike forces every session to start with your trudging through what was the tutorial levels. But what is now the world's most lengthy character select screen? What? <laughs> Some games do this well. The mines in Spelunky are always fraught with danger for the unwary Delver. <laughs> <laughs> Which is to be expected, as it is the perfect game. <laughs> <clears throat> and Downwell's combo system allows you to increase the risk right from the start. Others do not. <laughs> Hoplite springs to mind. A delightfully deep (laughs) game, but once you've rescued the fleece a few times (laughs) and found that the real game starts at level 17, the first 16 levels become a tedious (laughs) chore. Gutting his voice here. In which a single lost hit point requires a restart. In Brolio, too, things get interesting at a hundred stars, but sometimes getting to that point is a mindless exercise, which sometimes gets you killed from a moment's inattention. I find such games end up in early retirement. Even though I'd love to play more of them, I can't quite stomach the compulsory warm-up required by each session. So ends my grudge. Keep podding, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Oh, God, I'm never doing that again. I'm so sorry, everyone, who backs us on Patreon. I really am. It was the perfect question to read out in a goblin voice. <laughs> Did <laughs> guys got really far in Imbroglio, which it just seems like a goblin thing to do. <laughs> I didn't understand the <laughs> Do you need me to read it out again? No, oh God, no. There was something about roguelikes. Yeah, that's all, all, I got, all I got as well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how do we assess this? It just needs to go in the book or not. Did did people understand the gist of his grudge? Tom? <laughs> <laughs> I was very focused on the delivery. I was very much enjoying the delivery. I did. Uh, uh, am I- Alex, Alex, help. He was talking about uh, how uh, once you get good at a roguelike, yeah. playing a new session, yes. uh, you have to go through all the tutorial I levels, remember all the early levels, 
which becomes tri- boring because you've mastered them already. Yeah, okay. unless you're playing Spelunky or something like that, which is you know the perfect game. Fraught okay. with danger. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember this now. So it's just, yeah, it's basically that roguelikes are pretty dull unless they get it right. Yes, I yeah. am bad. More to it than good that. roguelikes are good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that feels like a fairly straightforward observation on our part. It's I don't a, know, maybe we're surmising it wrong. I think it's a good point that yes. some games miss, which is that the level of experience of the player is different to the level of experience of the character. And mm. uh, if you are starting a new life, 75 lives in, you don't need the basic levels to lead you in. You want to get straight to the, the good stuff. Is that and what that's... New Game Plus does? Possibly. So do roguelikes I, need new game plus, or do they just need to be spelunky? Well, personally, I'm trying like to avoid letting people through, like hmm. because like a lot of them, you have to play the early ones because you'll be getting items oh, yeah. or choosing routes you or can setting see how up little I play roguelikes. Setting up routes that that will lead certain. Mm. I think uh, that's reasonable. Ends. I think if you design a roguelike badly, then that's legit annoying. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid it. Uh, in heat signature by just what, giving designing you... a roguelike badly yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying to avoid that uh, I am um, but difficulty is a specific problem I'm trying to tackle where I never instead of being like started easy and then I force you to go to medium and then I force you to go to hard instead I just give you the menu of easy medium hard audacious mistake <laughs> that's the range of difficulty in these things and at any t- from the word go you have that option you can go straight to audacious if you like you can go straight to mistake if you like or you can stay on easy forever you never are forced to progress it's always a mission listing board where you have that choice mm. and so that's both in terms of like how well are you progressing how are you getting better at the game or not and then also just like some people just like missions that they can do when like the end game is like really satisfying but you have to trudge through the shit at the beginning mm. again and again yeah like that's really There's, annoying i mean the way it works in splunky and i would say ftl as well is that once you get good enough that the early levels are easy for you um there's still a game there because you're trying to optimize how many resources you get it's like and those early mm. levels of, of splunky i'm like how many bombs can i find how much money can i make so i can buy bombs later um and ftl certainly is like you know get loads of scrap as fast as possible so that the first time you find a shop you can buy loads of cool stuff and get a good build really early on and so even once there's no chance of you dying in those early sections you're still you still have something to focus on Mm. um i don't really love that as a final solution to this because it means that the better you are the easier you find the game and ultimately, I kind of want you to be able to, uh, no matter how good you are, still take on something that's really challenging for you, like where you're not sure if you're going to survive. But this feels like a reasonable grudge that when yeah. someone designs a yeah. game not well in terms of the difficulty <laughs> curves and accepting that you'll maybe need to encounter it afresh the first time, but also the hundredth time. Yep. Like if you haven't figured that out as a designer, that's that is an issue. I'm okay with this going in. Any objections? No. Nope. Nope. No. Good. It's in the book. Please never do that voice again. Is that, is that the EA voice? What? Is that the It's in. It's in the book. It's, it's, it's in the book. Grudge. It's in the book. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um. That. If anyone's still listening. Oh God! They is might be. all of the podcast. That we have time for. Oh, thank goodness. 
us. Indeed. <laughs> if if you would like to send us a question or a grudge for a future episode of the Creighton Crowbar, you can do so by emailing us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com or by tweeting us at Creighton Crowbar. You can also hang out on our YouTube channel. Fuck. <laughs> You can also. <laughs> you can do that. I tried to do two plugs at the same time, but turns out they're not compatible plugs. You can either you can hang out on our Discord if you like. The Discord link is on our website at creightoncrowbar.com. You can follow us on Twitter at creightoncrowbar. You can visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. Your subscriptions are very much appreciated, especially as we start planning more video stuff, as we announced last week. If you would like to support the Creighton Crowbar. We have a Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. We have more information about what we're using your donations to support. First thing has been the Miniatures Monthly podcast that me and Tom Senior are doing. That is ongoing. We have some cool new things in the works. The thing we've decided to start saying, so I'll say it now, is that actually your uh, iTunes reviews and ratings do help make the podcast more visible. So that's always a great thing to do if you enjoy the pod is to leave us a little review. Maybe not of this episode. Maybe of a different episode. <laughs> it was about an hour shorter. Maybe keep this to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Keep this one to yourself. Share this one with friends that you trust. Episode or four I hear was good. <laughs> friends that you don't like. Perhaps advise they go all the way back to the beginning and allow them to have four years build up to the point where we got possibly too drunk for this podcast. Oh, Even so, your ratings and reviews honest as I expect them to be, are appreciated and they make the podcast more visible for better and worse. If you'd like to follow oh, us... As... I'd like to warn other people about this podcast. <laughs> oh, if you'd like to follow us as individuals, I'm on Twitter at cthurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Pip is... Oh, God, I don't want... Tom is... <laughs> uh, I'm at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Alex is... Rotational, R O T A T A O. That's not right. <laughs> Rotato. <laughs> it's a from new company. Rotato from Contempt. B U N D V R. It's a rotating potato. C H E G G. Fun no, wait, hang on. Wait. Pip, do you want a second go at your Twitter handle? Oh, God, I don't want anyone to see it. Could you just leave me out? Okay. <laughs> Fine. Leave Pip alone. She'll be at jeg.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. Could we get jeg.tv or something? <laughs> just going on it now. Okay, cool. Oh, God. Jeg.cool. <laughs> Check.co.all <laughs> Sorry, says BT. The the uh, the website check.cool cannot be found. No oh. one's got check.cool. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> now that we've killed the Crank and Crowbar, <laughs> it's time to jump ship. <laughs> to the unicorn! <laughs> <laughs> Join us at bunvercheck.cool. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>